0: all theatre lovers both out and proud and on the dl welcome to broadway breakdown a podcast discussing the history and legacy of american theater's most exclusive address broadway this series is called the british invasion and it is covering shows that originated in the united kingdom and then transferred across the pond to our great white way some making a giant splash and some barely making a ripple i am your host Matt Koplik, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts. And with me today is a fellow podcaster. He has so many podcasts. Uh, If you know me and you've listened to me on anything else, you've listened to two that he does. He is the host of Putting It Together, the music of Stephen Sondheim. He is one half of a host for Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. I've been on both. They've been fantastic. Please welcome Kyle Marshall. Ah, blah, Yeah, thank, thanks so
1: much, man. I, I have to say, I think you may have missed your calling for being a newsie.
0: Well, that, newsies don't talk with a Cockney accent, That's although true. I guess maybe my intentionally bad Cockney accent was so unintentionally bad, it could be mistaken for Bronx, Brooklyn. And so the Bronx. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I have to say, I have been
1: a fan of this show for many years, so I'm over the moon for being invited onto this show. And uh, I, I tell you before we started recording in, for an interesting show you've asked me to be a part of that I have like no knowledge of and <laughs> I've spent the last week
0: trying to gain as much knowledge about it as I possibly can. That's how I roll. I get people interested in coming on the podcast. I mm-hmm. string them along for a while and then when I finally let them come on, I give them a show they either don't know anything about or have little interest in and I go, <laughs> I am the captain now. I spit in your face. Virtually. Yeah. Uh, that's very nice of you like, to say. It feels like every date I've been on is what this feels like. <laughs> well, just I'm glad that I can uh, perpetuate right. that narrative for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's very nice of you. Yeah, no, you've been listening to the pod for a while. You knew it back when mm-hmm. it was just me and John, which I yeah. say like that was a million years ago. That was right. a year ago. I know. Um, it's like not that long ago that it's been that way. Kyle, what are we talking about today? We are talking
1: about Blood Brothers the show that has apparently ran for 27 years in the UK, and I have never heard of this show in my entire life. <laughs> I feel like this would be akin to somebody telling me, it's like, Cats, no, tell me more about this show. What What is this Cats you speak of when you've been running for 30 years on Broadway? So, uh, so you yeah. re- literally had no idea the show existed until last week? Correct. Like, I feel like I could not have been more in the dark about this. When you mentioned to come on for Blood Brothers, I'm like, oh, OK, this sounds fun. I had an idea of what that show would even be with that name. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be like this, like, small underground indie musical. It's like it's anything but that. It, it really feels like I was living under a rock for like <laughs> the last 30 years.
0: Well, so we'll get into why you probably had never heard of it, because mm-hmm. it is a show that did not really make much of an impact outside of the UK. I think you could say best case scenario made a decent splash in Australia, but even like that was in the right. early 90s and I don't know how long that has uh, withstood, but I don't want to speak out of school. So who's to say? Uh, so, that, so you already answered the first question, Kyle, which was yeah. what was your history with the show? Which is to say, you don't have one. Yeah, this week has been my history with this show. <laughs> Lovely, and we will learn all about that tumultuous week that you've had. Yeah. I learned about this show. Everyone get your wine glasses ready and take a little sip or take a shot of your whiskey. I first learned of this show at Stage Door Manor Performing Arts Center. Woo! (laughs) Yeah, way! Because it's a show that has many roles for people and it's not too provocative. There's some curse words around, but, you know, Stage Door, when we did Follies with 17-year-olds, we weren't too concerned about curse words back in the day. There's some light murder in it but that's yeah. about it. <laughs> light murder. It's more for like the Greek tragedy of it all yeah, m- yeah. more than it's for like the street violence of West side story. But alas, yeah, this show was very popular at stage door. They did it every three to four years. And I finally saw it my second or th- my second to last year at stage door, I think was, I, mm-hmm. I finally saw it. And I remember reading the script because I had a friend in it and I was like, what is this show? Like, I don't know if right. it's trying to be spooky or if it's trying to be, sad or funny. And then I saw them do it and I enjoyed it for the most part. And then I kind of promptly forgot about it for (laughs) 15 years. And I really only kind of came upon it again when I was figuring out what shows to do for this podcast, Mm. because as you said, this show ran for ever in the uk yeah.
1: um when it's like this and the mousetrap are like the two longest running things well in, in the it's West kind end. Of,
0: yeah it's kind of complicated and we'll talk about that as okay, i okay. get our little history of blood brothers but it is one of the longest running possibly like top 10 very beloved olivier award winning mm-hmm. and and it ran here for about two years and it would not have run that long if it weren't for some choice casting they did for replacements. Yes. and again we'll yeah. get into all of that hanny so Let's just dive right into this uh, thing, my Bob, shall we? Yeah, yeah. I-, I would love to. Love it. Love it. Love to see it. OK, so Blood Brothers, it has a book. It has music. It has lyrics by a man named Willie Russell. Uh, the thing I love Who most sounds are-
1: like he should be from Kentucky. Can I just say that? Like when you see that name, it really feels like he's a southern gentleman. Not at my all. My name's Wheeler
0: Russell. How you yeah, doing? Exactly. I guess that may not be Kentucky. Well, that's, Kentucky's pretty as like a thicker Southern accent.
1: You, you, um, you do the, you do the vocal work here on this episode. Okay. Cause I, unfortunately I'm a triple non-threat and where I cannot sing, dance or act in any conceivable way.
0: So. Well, you've got a nice dulcet speaking voice yeah. and that is perfect for podcasts. Whereas mine I, you, could get right. you unpregnant. <laughs> I feel, I feel like I could
1: probably pull off like a Rex Harrison occasionally if, if I was asked to, but that's as close as I'll probably
0: ever come. Sure. I mean, do you got rhythm? Are you Jody Benson? Do you got rhythm? I can snap my fingers a time or two. <laughs> uh, you know who can snap his fingers fingers? Who can snap his fingers? Jesus Christ. Willie Russell. Right. Will, not Willie from Kentucky. Willie from Liverpool. And that's important that he's from Liverpool, guys. Remember that because, oh boy, will that come up in the show? He's the fifth Beatle. Yes. Well... <laughs> funny. Kyle knows what he's doing. He knows how to get these transitions (laughs) in. First of all, Willie Russell started his life or started his life, started his career as a uh, hairstylist, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hairdresser, hairstylist, and then went back to school and got into playwriting. And he was best known before Blood Brothers for two works. One was uh, the play Educating Rita, which I believe came out on the West End around 1979. Uh, It won the Olivier for comedy. Yes, he won the Olivier Award for Best Comedy, and he was nominated for an Oscar for his for his adaptation of the screenplay for the movie, which starred Julie Walters and Michael Caine. Michael Caine, yeah. Yes, and he also wrote a jukebox musical based off of the Beatles catalog. It was called John Paul George Ringo and Bert, and <laughs> There is a dot, dot, dot there before the end, bird, And it won the Evening Standard Theater Award for Best Musical in 1974, and it ran for over a year on the West End. So Willie Russell was not like, you know, some random dude. Right. He'd written some successful plays on the West End. He'd written one successful musical, or, you know, wrote the book for a successful jukebox musical. And I could be conflating this too. I've read a lot, and now I can't remember
1: if it was for this show or that one. Wasn't the, the Beals one, like, a kind of a surprise? sort of like because it ran so long like people were not expecting it was supposed to be like a six-week engagement and it ended up running for that long
0: that honestly sounds about right and that kind of is willie russell's writing career is that things yeah. yeah things tend to run much longer than anyone expected and yeah like educating rita i believe came from like a a festival and then transferred and mm-hmm. just like became a big hit and really like launched Julie Walters's um right. serious acting career because she was more of a like not stand up like sketch comedian before this and this kind of legitimized her as an actress which is hysterical to think of now that were like oh yes Julie Walters she used to be illegitimate as an actress like I know right <laughs> you've known her as Academy Award nominee, multi Academy Award nominee, Julie Walters for like forty years now.
1: Yeah, it's like at, at a certain point she was like, "Who?" and then mm-hmm. she became I, Julie Walters.
0: Well, it's like one of my favorite articles around the time that Evita was coming out. There's one I think it's like People, and it's like acting nobody, Patty LaPone gets the role <laughs> of Ava Perone. That's a, that's something we have framed though on your wall eventually. Oh, one hundred. I'm sure she has it framed oh, somewhere. For sure. Patty has everything framed. She does. She Patty has all the receipts. And and that writer's like home address, so he just drives by every Sunday and just glares at her. <laughs> mm-hmm. Send, shows her both of her Tonys and her Emmy nomination, and she's yeah, exactly. like, "Sorry about it, sorry bitch, sorry flop." So Willie Russell had been commissioned to write a work for the my god, am I going to butcher this mm. name? Mercy Side, Mercy Side Young People's Theater Company, which was a touring troupe that went to various schools with a small group of actors. Then the whole point was like they had almost no props, a couple of costumes, Mm -hmm. and they would do these like 70 minute plays, usually like morality tales, uh, just to sort of bring a little bit of culture and artistry to the children. And again, like have a little message in there somewhere. And they had sort of been hounding him for a while to do one. He finally had time, so he did it, but he couldn't really think of what to write. He claims that he was walking down the street and he was like halfway down the block, I came up with the idea. There's right, another right, right. story that it, he actually had that this was based off of a short play he had read in school that he sort of adapted. Uh, who's to be believed? That's for us to decide. One of the themes of Blood Brothers. So he writes this 70 minute version of Blood Brothers and it only has one song in it, which is the Marilyn Monroe song, which oh, ho, we will get to her. But I mean, it comes up three times. in the. It show comes so. up a million times. <laughs> yeah it's, it's ugh, so
1: <laughs> but i i feel okay this is where i need to butt in and say just something about this because say it girl in a way i've gotten to know you a little bit here matt and mm-hmm. our personalities in one aspect are very different in that and this is gonna sound so mean i feel like you don't care if you come across as being an asshole sometimes and like my whole personality <laughs> is me trying not to be and i feel like i'm gonna come across as like a, the biggest dick talking about this show but one of them is that Marilyn Monroe, and why I don't think it works. But anyways, we'll talk about that. In
0: a well, minute. there's a there's a reason why it doesn't work, and her first name is forced. Uh, so well, yes, yeah. there's a lot of forcing in this lot, show. There's a lot of things say. forced into this show, one hundred percent. But I don't want to get I don't want to shit on it too much because there are things about it that I no. think work. There's but, things like, I love
1: in this show, but there's a couple of things I'm going to be like extra critical on, and uh,
0: people can write in if they think I'm being a jerk. I'll put, I'll put it this way. Yes. I, first of all, thank you. I, I am pretty open about who I am in my opinions. I try not to be a dick when it's about negative stuff, usually just because, Mm -hmm. well, it can be really fun to be sassy in the moment nothing's ever really accomplished and you never really heard because people then just go, Oh, you're a jealous hater. And it's like, well, first of all, yes, I am. But second of all, <laughs> actually, I actually first want all correct. But second yeah. of all, that is a hundred percent accurate. I am very much a hater and bitter and jealous, but the other thing is that I do, you know, we all want to be heard, right? And we want mm-hmm. what we say to come to register and it registers when you try to uh, express yourself in a non- toxic way so that is what i try to do for the most part that said sometimes you know we get carried away on this podcast we have our bits it's we drink some wine you know you get a bit catty and uh, things come out (laughs) so the cats episode came out the day before we recorded this and Mm. it's very clear that kyle listened to that episode (laughs) he heard me and amanda get very drunk and very sassy That's right. But to be fair, that's the only way you can talk about cats. Well, even if you like it, you have to get drunk and sassy when you talk about it. Anyway, um so they do the 70 minute version of this play, which has a slightly different ending. The the outcome is still the same, but who holds the gun is a little different. In the 70 minute version of the play has only one song and Willie Russell's like, it worked, it worked so well, those kids were like, Yeah, I'm into it. And part of me's like, Yeah, because it was 70 minutes. But also, yeah, you know, if you watch the video of it and you know, or like a clip of it, because there's a clip of it in the documentary on West End musicals called The Story of Musicals. And you can see a little Mm. clip of that version. It was like done in the round with the kids all around them. And I'm like, yeah, of course, the kids are going to be into it when like actors are coming up and down the aisle holding guns like that gets their attention. Right, right, right. But he went to work on making it a full length musical, especially because he had been hounded by um, a producer, Bob Swash, who was really pushing Russell to write another musical, one preferably that did not have a previous catalog, and Russell had had a career as a pop songwriter as well, so he could write music. Uh, originally, he was going to look for someone to write songs for this, and then he's like, "Yeah, I can sort of do it myself." Plus, you know, I don't have to worry about anyone else's deadlines and uh, procrastination, and also, like, if this makes any money, I'll get all the money for it, and I don't have yeah, to yeah. share with nobody. So he expands it into a full two act musical. It plays at the Liverpool Playhouse for a limited twelve week run. Uh, This is the beginning of 1983. It stars Barbara Dixon as Mrs. Johnstone. Johnston, Johnstone. It's always unclear how you pronounce it because it should be Johnston, but there's an E at the I So I want to say Johnstone. We'll say Johnston. Mrs. Johnston. Uh, (laughs) This is Jay, as she's often referred to in the show. Barbara Dixon had gotten a big break from the previous wrestling musical, The Beatles, uh, John, Paul, George, Ringo, dot, dot, dot and Bert. So she had this connection with Russell. So she starred in the show for him as Mrs. Johnston. The reports on the success at the Liverpool Playhouse, again, differ if you go to Willie Russell's website. Huge Mm -hmm. success, standing ovations every night. Oh my God. If you look at some other sources, they're like, eh. Like, it was not, it did not bomb, but it wasn't like the biggest success the Liverpool Playhouse ever had. But still, Bob Swash had a lot of faith in the show, so they moved it to the Lyric Theater on April 8th, uh, sorry, on April 11th, 1983. Oh, uh, I meant to say this as well. I already did one correction in the Phantom episode, which I recorded before the Cats episode came out, but there's another one that I was wrong on uh, since the Cats episode came out and some people have informed me that I was wrong. So I'll say it now. T.S. Eliot's widow's name was Valerie, not Victoria, not Vicky. Valerie Val 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 so sorry about it guys I never said I was smart or well read I simply said that I was an asshole I I I turned it off at that point in the show I just could not continue on how dare you that is Valerie erasure Amy Winehouse's song is all about knowing that I was going to have Valerie erasure that's why she wrote Valerie (laughs) now I own the Amy Winehouse estate like 10 million dollars okay so uh, opened in April of, 19- of 1983. The show was a very hard sell. It had a really hard time catching an audience, especially because Cats had been on the scene for about two years at this point. And the whole idea of the mega musical was starting to take form. We had some other shows that were kind of going for spectacle over text, let's say. Like the intimate you know, uh, indie musical was not really what people right. were interested in. So it only ran for about six months, but what ended up happening was they started selling out the last month or so of the run because they were given their notice like halfway through the run. They, you know, we, they got another show booked in the theater after them and they made a pop cover of the final song. Tell me it's not true with Barbara Dixon, which they released mm. just like hoping to get some interest in the show ends up being like a huge runaway pop single. The show starts selling out the end of the run and they didn't have enough time to figure out how to extend it, how to find a new theater. So they had to close the show after six months, even though like the last three months was like standing room only, Blankers. standing ovation. Yeah. Exactly. But they do win the Olivier Award this year for best new musical. They win over Little Shop of Horrors, which is hmm. interesting to me. Yeah. They... The original run over in the UK? Mm-hmm, the original run oh, of wow, okay. uh, Blood Brothers in 1983 beat Little Shop of Horrors, but had just transferred over uh, for the Olivier. Although Little Shop did uh, run for a full two years. Um, right. What was... Yeah, like the year before Blood Brothers won, the winner for Best Musical was Poppy, which was a costume spectacle from the Royal Shakespeare Company about Mm. the first opium war. So that's a yikes. And then the year before that was Cats. So, you know, like this is where the trends were going. Uh, Shows like Blood Brothers were not really what people what They assumed people weren't going to be interested in. But then. Uh, A year or so later, Bill Kenwright, producer Bill Kenwright, acquires the rights to Blood Brothers and produces a very critically acclaimed national tour in 1987. He gets uh, Willie Russell to come see it. He's very impressed. He agrees to make a couple of changes to the script for Kenwright, who I think also co-directed this production. And they're uh, touring around the UK. And Kenwright's like, listen, Willie, Willie, sweetie, baby, boo-boo child audience is really liking this. We're selling out. I think we should bring this back to the West end. And Willie's like, no, we got burned. You know, this is, this won't do well again. I couldn't take the heartbreak. So he keeps pushing it back. And finally Bill's like, Willie, like you haven't seen the show in like seven months. Come again. Like we're come see it in Manchester. We're in this like really big theater. We're completely sold out see how Mm -hmm. it plays in a really big theater. And I swear we're going to put it in another small theater on the West end, but only if you approve, he comes to see it. He's very impressed. He's like, what am I doing? Like, people are liking this. There's clearly interest. Plus, he's like, I can get more money. So they bring it to the West End. They bring it to the Albury Theater, which is now the Noel Coward Theater in, on July 28th, 1988. With Kiki D and Con O'Neill leading the cast. Remember Con O'Neill? He'll come up in just a second. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, so Kiki D, by the way. Yes. It, she is the one that's in the video that you sent mm-hmm. to me.
0: That's the entire uh,
1: yeah, yeah. original company of that new production of that new production. I felt like such an idiot because of course I didn't look it up, but I'm like halfway through that. I'm like, why does her voice sound so freaking like in my brain? Like I know this from somewhere. And then finally, as I was exiting out of the YouTube, like, oh, it's Kiki D. That's why. That's why I know who this person is.
0: What's like, what are some of her big songs? Cause she was like a pop singer. Wasn't she?
1: Yeah, the, oh, honestly, I, sh- I should just... put The only one I really know is her collaboration with Elton John, Don't Go Breaking My Heart.
0: Like, that's... There you the, go. Like, that's how I know her. Sure. But, but, I mean, this show has a long history of uh, pop singers yeah. coming in well, and, and singing.
1: I mean, you mentioned how Willie was all about singer-songwriter before he even transferred into script writing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's what I felt while watching this. Like, oh, all of these are basically a pop standard song that you could release onto the radio. Like it it feels very much like that. It's like, Oh, I'm listening to joy division for a moment here now. And then now I'm off to this one.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. I think it's
1: both to its credit and like my criticism I have, I think overall the show, but (laughs) anyways.
0: Yeah. We'll get there. Let's just get this fucking show to Broadway. (laughs) we'll, We'll goddamn talk about this goddamn show. So, as I said, opens at the Albury, huge hit right off the bat. This is also for any listeners who started at the beginning of this series. You'll remember this theater, the Albury theater, as where Oliver first premiered. Although I think at that time it was called the Players Theater. Mm-hmm. Don't call me on that.
1: By the way, because of your episode, I watched the movie Oliver for the first time this week as well. So mm-hmm. you're, you you're think? welcome. I liked it. It was good. This is this is going to sound so bad. This will also come back actually up in our discussion. I have this weird aversion where I don't like listening to kids sing. Totally. Uh, So the the person who portrays Oliver, I'm like, I could take you or leave you, but the rest of it is great. I like the rest of it.
0: Well, this show doesn't actually have any children in it; it has adults pretending to be children, which is why I did the voice I did at the beginning of this episode. It's very Monty Python. I don't want to marry her father. It's very (laughs) that. That's That's right. That's right. So. They're playing at the Albury for three years. They are nominated again for Musical of the Year because the Oliviers have weird category placements oh. and yeah so like I th- they end up losing to the Scottish operas production of Candide playing at the old Vic and I don't even know if this was the f- first time Candide had played on the West End like maybe because there weren't enough new new musicals they just called it Musical maybe. of the Year not new musical that would be its an... best new musical what what year would that have been in 88, eight eighty88.
1: If that is the Scottish production that is on YouTube of Candide,
0: that's a little bit of a robbery almost because I really dislike that production. <laughs> but maybe I'm alone in that too. I, I don't know. It might might or might not be. Uh, there's a recording of the Scottish Opera's production, I think, from 80, that's in 89. So whatever mm, that recording is, yeah, yeah. that cast recording, I think that's representative. I don't know about what's on YouTube, but I, mean, uh, I love Regardless. me some British theater. And sometimes they do a musical quite nicely. Sometimes they don't. the things they choose to succeed sometimes makes me go okay uh the show does not win it loses to candide uh but con o'neill who plays mickey does win the olivier for his performance he wins um uh, actor in a musical The show then transfers to the slightly larger phoenix theater in 1991 that's where the west end version of come from way is currently playing then uh, it does not come to Broadway immediately, which is actually very rare for these uh, British transfers, because usually the show comes within two to three years, uh, sometimes even like a year. So like Phantom comes to Broadway, like within 15 months, Les Mis within, uh, you know, 15 months, Mm Cats within a year. I think the longest other than this one is Billy Elliot, which comes to uh, Broadway from the West End in like three years. Blood Brothers takes five years to get to Broadway. Yeah, it's a while. Yeah, it's a long time, especially considering just how successful it's been on the West End up to this point. But I think part of it is that the show, while it was very successful there, it did not become the international, re- internationally recognized show that Cats, Phantom and Les Mis where They didn't, well- Say, tell me it's not true. It was very popular on the pop charts there. It was not popular everywhere else. Right. Um, So they opened it in Australia where it does well. Then they do a pre Broadway tryout in Canada with this cast, uh, who's to say how well it does there before they bring it to Broadway. But it does eventually come to Broadway on April 23rd, 1993 at the Music Box Theater starring Stephanie Lawrence as Mrs. Johnston who had done it. She did not open this production on the West End but she did play Mrs. Right. Johnston for three years. She also was a replacement Avita. She's the original Pearl, I think is her name in Starlight Express. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the one who's like, you know, go Rath D go. <laughs> Con O'Neill uh, repeats his performance as mickey warwick evans repeats his performance as the, the narrator. useless useless narrator oh,
1: i'm so glad you're so aligned with me it's like what are
0: you doing here what, what is up with this it's well oh god will we get to it um mm. and then there's another couple a couple other english actors are in this production it's mostly noted for me as carrie butler's broadway debut she's right. in the ensemble yeah, yeah. Understudies the sister and then she eventually comes back into the show and understudies the love interest Barbara Walsh goes straight from falsettos into this show as Mrs. Mm. Lyons the uh, antagonist and Brian Darcy James I don't think he makes his debut in this or maybe he does but he's an he's a replacement ensemble member and understudies Mickey. Mm. Um, At this point, also, when Blood Brothers came to Broadway, uh, Willie Russell had written another play, a one woman show called Shirley Valentine, which had come to Broadway in 89, I think, and had done quite well, ran for a year, was nominated for uh, Best Play at the Tony Awards, might even have had the movie version come out before Blood Brothers finally came to Broadway. So (laughs) he had he wrote a whole nother play, which had a movie version any time it took for Blood Brothers to go from the West End to Broadway so as i said it opens april 23rd 1993 what happens after that we will get to so <laughs> kyle yes what is blood what is blood brothers about
1: i mean i could i guess i could answer it in two ways versus like what is the plot what what is it about i personally think it is about whether or not we control fate or fate controls us if i want mm. to be all literary about it um What it is actually about is a woman who becomes pregnant with twins. Her husband leaves her and the uh, rich lady she's working for as a, like a housekeeper is unable to have kids. So they concoct this plan where each of them will keep one of the sons. And uh, because the poor woman is superstitious the rich woman convinces her that if they ever were to discover that they are twins that were separated, that both of them will die. Mm. Stuff happens. <laughs> they discover that they're brothers,
0: <laughs> and then they die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's basically the show. That is, yeah, it's it's like Parent Trap meets. Yeah.
1: Um, I I said Oliver. Yeah. Parent yeah. Trap meets Oliver, like the the other With some
0: Thatcherism in there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> some light bachelorism uh I thought of uh Macbeth too a little bit which is like a a prophecy a prophecy that's foretold it only becomes a reality because someone obsesses over the prophecy so much mm-hmm. that they actually fulfill it by the end of the show but
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so there's a lot of stuff I think that's wrapped up into this
0: yeah I mean the thing about it is so like the two brothers they are separated at birth and if before anyone comes for mrs johnston who has the twins like how could she do it she did have six other kids no husband and she was already saying like she she worked it out that she could uh manage with seven because she was pregnant she's like i can i can make a seventh work i figured it out i've adjusted the the finances plus i guess well they were living on welfare plus with the new job Mm -hmm. then she found out she was having twins she's like there's no way i can do that that's going to break everything i don't know what i'm going to do uh, on top of that, welfare is on to me. So if I have two more kids, they're really going to be on my case. So she was desperate. And then and, Mrs. And Lyons, I know that
1: this not to get super political with this show, but uh, th- like this takes place in the 70s, like that part of the show.
0: I think that part well, takes place in the 60s, actually.
1: Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but uh, why uh, ease of access to birth control is a good thing because then mm-hmm. you don't have unplanned stress in your life.
0: Yes, because so our opening number. Well, so for, well, for being really honest here, we have a quote unquote overture that goes yes. on for fucking ever because <laughs> it's yeah. not even really an overture. It's just a lot of tones. It's a lot of it's just mood setting music. It's underscoring. I
1: was uh, originally listening to this score on uh, just earbuds and I turned it on. I was like, it says it's playing, but I don't hear anything. <laughs> I actually had to like turn on just from the speaker. Like, oh, it's just like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like a long. Yes. Note.
0: As for the intro for this, uh, I will be cutting out the first nine seconds of the quote-unquote overture for our intro, as it is mostly silence. I will mm-hmm. I will begin it right when the music starts, but even then, it's not going to be all that exciting because it's just again, it's chords, it's notes, and then eventual humming of the finale, and then right. the narrator comes in and says some rhyming couplets. As I said, again, <laughs> yeah. very Shakespearean, and then we go into the real opening number, which is called Marilyn Monroe. Now, why is it called Marilyn Monroe, you might ask? Well, Mrs. Johnston informs us that when she was young and pretty, she met a man who wooed her and seduced her. And his main line was that she was prettier than Marilyn Monroe. He said my eyes were deep blue
1: pools, my skin as soft as snow. He told me I was sexier than Marilyn Monroe. and We went down.
0: And then she gets knocked up or as she says in the club and they get married. They, everyone says she's the bride is lovelier than Marilyn Monroe. She has the kid and she gets pregnant right after that next kid. Because as you said, not readily available birth control, probably also misinformation on, uh, fertility. Right, Right. Yes. They are young. They are working class. They probably were not told the correct things about how to not get pregnant. Correct. So she gets pregnant almost immediately after baby number one. And then that's sort of a rinse and repeat for about six years. She keeps on getting pregnant, getting pregnant, over over. getting pregnant. And then eventually, uh, no more dancing because by the time she was 25, she looked like she was 42. And her husband said, Now you're twice the size of Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. What a, yeah. He was an asshole. I guess we have to say, <laughs> like a yeah. real piece of work. He's on stage. He's a plot device. He goes off.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: He's a jerk. I'm assuming the sex was good. That's why she stayed with him. And you know, whenever things got bad, he was just like, "Come on, baby, you're like a Mar- Oh, sorry, on. Let me put my Liverpoolian accent. <laughs> Come on, baby, you look just like Marilyn Monroe. That's a terrible Rue. Liverpoolian, yeah, but I there know. we go, Marilyn Monroe. And then she gets pregnant one last time, and then he goes off with a girl she is told looks like
1: Marilyn Monroe.
0: Now, you might say that's a little much. Coming back to it, like, we're going back to that well a couple of times in this number. Well, fastener seatbelts, because that well keeps drawing drawn from, yeah. Yep, we're drawing dirt out of that fucker, like, (laughs) and still (laughs) claiming it is a nice, cool glass of Poland spring. She gets a job with Mrs. Lyons, who's a wealthy woman, and... (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I was just, I already am thinking about when Mrs. Lyons like casually puts her new purchase, which is new shoes on the right. table. And yeah, and then and Mrs. Mrs. Johnson, Johnson freaks the, freaks the fuck
1: out. out, like just loses her shit. And I was watching, of course, like the YouTube rip of this uh, production. I was like, whoa, like what is happening?
0: Because it's hey, so intense the way she does it.
1: So intense. And I feel. Not that I'm a superstitious person, but I seem to know like every superstition. I've never heard of this one either about putting new shoes on the table. It was spilled salt or something like that. I'm like, sure. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, that's her thing.
0: Yeah. Maybe it's a British thing. I know it was definitely the first one I had ever heard. Uh, And there were other superstitions that they talked about in the show. I can't remember all of them. And obviously the lion's one is fake. She made it up. Yeah, she makes it up. And like, but (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like, so, I've talked about this by the at this point, I've already talked about it with cats, lay mm-hmm. phantom. You know, when we're picking apart a show, it's usually because the overall understanding is that the storytelling just doesn't work for us, right? You know, we're not taken in the way that others might be with this show, which is why we can sort of see the flaws that maybe others are willing to ignore. When a show is good and hits you in an emotional spot, which a lot of these British shows can do, you know, it, they, they hit you in a chemical way that some shows that are maybe better constructed and more intellectual mm-hmm. and more far reaching can't. But I, <sighs> with this show, I feel like they're trying to get into our, psyche and trying to like get us where we're uncomfortable so we're always just sort of on the edge of our seats and it's just so much so quickly (laughs) like they're throwing so much intense like melodrama at us so hard and they're underlining everything so like when she says like, you put new shoes on the table. Like the lights change. There's a giant yeah, yeah. chord from the orchestra. And then to top it all off, the narrator comes on. He's like, like new gelaring, shoes on yeah. the table. Who's <laughs> to say if it's real or not? Are you to say, are you? The devil's got your number. Spider on the wall. And I'm like, what the flying fuck? <laughs>
1: like what is happening here? I mean, to answer, I don't know if you want to answer this question yet. Like, did you ever get a emotional response from the show?
0: no no i can imagine if i saw this on broadway i probably would at least get some chills from the finale only because it is a pleasant song and to hear 15 brilliant singers shout it in my face into my mouth i probably (laughs) would get a couple of chills from it even if i was like this is a little ridiculous
1: Like most of my problems are in Act One, which is actually weird because usually I have Act Two problems. Is usually where I like focus in on the show. Yeah, I think it takes way too long to get to the point uh in the show where they do so much building, and you need a little bit of that. Don't get me wrong; it's good uh-huh. to understand that she uh, has superstitions, and that's what Mrs. Lyons like feeds into, and then she gives up her child. But we it takes forever to get to the point where it's like, okay, now they're two young kids; they're meeting, they're friends. You know, all that stuff. But even though a lot of this wasn't working for me, I did have that emotional response in the final song. For whatever reason, that final song, like, totally hits me.
0: I was like, oh, like, I this mean, is actually a- really good. Um, well, I wish I could it's a good the rest of it up. Yeah, it's a good melody. It's yeah. I I've now so okay. but i have OK. some of the lyrics no- are garbage. I'll, I'll get to that. too. There are a moment. couple that are garbage. There's also one. I think it is garbage. One of the songs that's actually I realized is uh, used three times the melody. Yes. Uh, as but I can't tell if it's like objectively garbage or if it's just because I tie it to a spoof kind of song in South Park. That I'm not even sure if South Park is literally spoofing this song mm. or just this kind of song, but I'll get to it in a second. Okay, okay, okay. Um, the finale, so okay, I have watched this live once in my teens and thought it was fine. Uh, Watched this YouTube version now twice in preparation for this episode, read the script and listened to three different cast recordings. I listened to the 80s London one, the like not really Broadway, but kind of Broadway one. And then the international recording with Petula Clark and the Cassidy's. And while the finale does have something about it, it also does not build, in my opinion, to a satisfying conclusion, Mm -hmm. mostly because. It's a song that is, it's a one statement song, which a lot of these British shows are very guilty of doing, of taking one statement, repeating it for three and a half minutes. And if you're lucky, there's a chord progression, but (laughs) not always. Sometimes there's a key change, but not always. And like, my God, are we going to see this with the next show that I cover in the next episode, but. Which is what? Sunset Boulevard. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But. With this, like, for, for tell me it's not true, it's literally just tell me it's not true, and tell yeah, me it's repeat, not true, repeat. yeah.
1: Um, I think, I think what it is, and I, it really keyed into me, uh, in the Tony's performance,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and this is often true, where like I can listen to a song on a cast album, but it hits me differently when I actually finally see it performed, where like. Th- that mrs johnson character mrs Johnston character is giving a lot <laughs> to that yes. performance and like she's breaking down while she's singing this and so i think it's carried on that performance but yeah just as a vocal like listening to it i don't know if it automatically gets transferred like how devastated she actually is
0: yes it's it her performance in that tony's makes sense in context of the show especially yeah, yeah. in these in the um the style that the show is presented in. Like I'm watching it and I'm not like, my God, she's really going for it. I'm like, no, I totally understand how this works in the show. That having been said, it's more just like, it's just everyone, especially because like you have the two brothers, Eddie and Mm -hmm. McGee lying dead on the stage as she's singing. Then they get the fuck up and everyone just stands together and shouts in your face, say it's not true. It's just like, tell me it's a story on the radio. And then in case we forgot about that, fucker of a well, it's a movie with Marilyn Monroe, right? Tell me okay. it's not true. Uh, at this point, the Phantom episode will have come out. And I talk about this with Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again. Well, it's a really pretty song. Yeah, It's literally just Christine for four verses going, you're dead and I miss you. You're dead and I miss you. You're dead yeah. and I miss you. Yeah, there's no change in character. Exactly. The last line is her saying, like, I need to let go. But that's the literal last line of the song, which it mm-hmm. has one step over. Tell me it's not true because tell me it's not true. Doesn't even end with a line being like, but it is true. It just it ends with say it's just a story with Marilyn Monroe. OK, uh, so uh, I, I
1: don't know. I don't know if I should jump ahead because I know we're going through the plot. We don't know. Ju- the, the structure okay. is gone of the show. Jump all over. Here's my biggest problem with that song. And maybe I am being so incredibly literal with this, but this is actually what bugs me about that last line. Tell me it's of an old movie from long ago. Or sorry, um, they're talking about how, like, tell me this isn't true. Like, it's just pretend specifically about these two people killing themselves. Tell me it's about an old movie long ago from an old movie with Marilyn Monroe. What movie with Marilyn Monroe ends this way? Some like it hot nothing. look at the guessed, subtext. I guess, maybe. <laughs> I don't know why it bugs me so much, but it's like, you need to tell me what movie you're referencing in this because this feels like a bit of a cheat that you're yeah. doing here.
0: I don't know if Marilyn Monroe was ever in a movie that had a dead body in it. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. But again, it's more that they're just tying it back to that, I guess... That metaphor, yeah, it's a me- I was about to say theme. Me- yeah. Marilyn's not a theme in the show. She's a metaphor that's constantly used in the show. Oh, constantly. Yes, and we'll, uh, you yeah. know. So yes, a jump, we're going to jump all over the place. But okay. yes, is there a song in the show you do like, Kyle?
1: Oh, besides uh, mostly <laughs> that song. I mean, it's mostly tell me it's not true. Um, I do like it. Um, probably the next closest is probably. Oh god, is it easy terms? I think that's the one I'm
0: thinking of. That's the song. The I are never, had never kids. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I again, it's it's more like the melody that I'm enjoying on this because, mm-hmm. okay, this is the other big thing of me coming across as like super pretentious. So I host a show about Stephen Sondheim, and if you want to see him go the fuck off on something, talk to him about things that don't actually rhyme in songs, but mm-hmm. kind of get close this whole show is filled with them about mm-hmm. words that they don't actually rhyme. And that's kind of the biggest thing that kind of bugs me uh, with it. I'm wondering if I can just very quickly see if I can find uh, well right there. So living on the never, never constant as the changing weather, which is like kind of, but that's not a, an exact rhyme. It's the wrong consonant. Yeah. So, uh, Anyways, it's the whole thing is filled, but that is true for pop music, which is what Willie is coming from. So I get why it's all throughout this entire show. But it's like, I think if you had tried a little bit harder, it would have worked. Anyways, this is me. This is the example of a song
0: I actually like. So this yeah, is, I, like, I, like I like the like, song like and he's terms. still dragging it for filth. This is a show for me where I actually would argue, I think this would make a good movie if yes. you cut out all the songs and the mm. narrator and just made it like a yeah, melodramatic, fun, like kind of pulpy story. Sure. But I keep it flowing. I really like the act one finale. Uh, That's not a good one. Yeah, yeah I like that. What's it called? Starting all over s- again?
1: Uh, I think it's actually called Long Sunday Afternoon. Oh no, Bright New Day. Bright New, New Day, days. yeah. Because...
0: Yeah. Not brand new day, bright new day, bright new day. Uh, sun- uh, Sunday afternoon or long Sunday afternoon. I actually don't like that one at all. That's too. Um... So there's a thing with the orchestrations with this show <laughs> that right. there's no other way for me to uh, describe it other than Skinemax saxophone, which if you live in America, <laughs> right. Skinemax is the movie channel Cinemax, which after around 11 o'clock starts to show softcore porn. And there's usually right. a saxophone playing while they grind up against each other. And so it's that max saxophone. <laughs> uh, You're not like, wrong. You're not uh, wrong. Uh, no, it's there. And it's constant in the show to the point where it got very distracting. And Long Sunday Afternoon is the one where I'm like really f- hearing it, being like, oh, Jesus Christ. Especially because the character Mickey's supposed to be like seven when he's singing that song. I know. And
1: it, like that's what came out of nowhere. Because before that, like he is kind of singing like a kid would. Yeah. Um, which I realize also that I preface this where I don't like hearing kids sing. but in like a I don't know, uh spelling bee or like your good man Charlie Browns are away. It's like, no, it's working within the context of the show yeah. of an adult singing like a kid. And he does that and like, whoa, you've just aged up 20 years. Like, yeah, what it's is dong?
0: Like, Sunday. I don't know how it goes anymore. It's like afternoon. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So for anyone who's like who doesn't really know the show and is like really fucking confused, essentially, uh, uh, Mrs. Lyons has like regrets of letting Mrs. Johnson near the babies when they're born because she has twins, Eddie and Mickey, two boys and Mrs. Lyons finally is like, you have to go here's some money, get out. And she tells her the superstition as Kyle already mentioned, because we've established Mrs. Johnson is very superstitious, even though she doesn't think so. It's actually something I really like about the scene, which isn't intentionally funny in a show that actually has a lot of humor to it. Like, and I think is used rather well, this is a moment where I'm like, oh, they're not trying to be funny, but it's hysterical. So I'm like, Mrs. Johnson freaks the fuck out about the shoes on the table, the new shoes on the table. Yes. And Mrs. Lyons like, are you superstitious? And she's like, no, it's like, <laughs> oh, no, like, no. um, yes, you are, bitch. But like you, you just started beating your chest because your employer put new shoes on a table. Anyway, <laughs> she when Mrs. Lyons tells her the superstition to get her the, to get her to fuck off, they go their separate ways. And Eddie and Mickey never meet. Mrs. Johnson's true to her word. She never meets Eddie. But then when Eddie's like seven or so, he just, I guess, randomly walks around like the poor neighborhood of the town. Cause they live, I guess, like sort of on the outskirts of London. Like they live in a, I don't think they live like in the city, but they don't live in the countryside. Like they live in a, right. in a suburb maybe. And Mickey lives in the bad area of town, which is maybe a little more um like metropolis like. Yeah. And Eddie, I guess, wanders his way down there from his lovely home. He and Mickey become best friends almost immediately, partly because they're seven and partly because they realize they share the same birthday. Correct. And at that very moment, they become blood brothers, which is very quick for a show that took forever for us to get to this moment, to get right. to the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dragging out the whole origin story. And the characters of Eddie and Mickey I, played. I
1: like, I like to uh, uh, envision there being... A- a, uh, a theater goer back when this first debuted and they get to that point like oh that's the name of the show I get this
0: now. Have you ever watched Family Guy Kyle? Oh yes yeah yeah. There's an episode where, where uh, Brian writes a play it's called A Passing Fancy. <laughs> right. And towards the end of act one I think it's like about a married couple and one of them wants to be a writer. I don't you don't know the whole plot and like part of the joke is how like the play is not very good but the audience at Hog is eating it up and they're reacting the way that an mm-hmm. audience would And at one point, he's like, I wrote a script. It's called A Passing Fancy. And someone goes, oh, that's the name of of this play. And (laughs) then at the end of act two, it's all over. And he's successful and his wife's leaving him. She's like, isn't it funny? All this time, I was the passing fancy. And someone in the audience goes, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) So you can just imagine when the show premiered. And it's like, let's be blood brothers. Someone in the audience goes, oh. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) That's the name of this play. (laughs) But... It's like it's like in phantom when someone goes the phantom uh, some of you have heard the strange tale of the phantom of the opera and someone goes we have we have we have Like, tell us more <laughs> right, right, right. but so yeah uh, I also wonder if there was someone in the audience when uh, after that whole long prologue leading up to them as children and then we have the scene where they become blood brothers someone goes that's a bit fast I want 10 more minutes of exposition yeah. before we get ten there more, ten, 10 more minutes of this child's play. And the actors who play Mickey and Eddie play them throughout their entire lives. So even though right. they're seven, they're played by like men in their late twenties, early thirties.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, a
0: very theatrical
1: thing. I actually watched the, the production first. because I wanted to like kind of go in blind, like not knowing what the, the story was at mm-hmm. all and just see how it worked for a moment. I thought what was going to happen is that the same actor was going to play both brothers uh back and forth i'm like oh that'd be kind of interesting But was like oh no that's not where this is going at all
0: jekyll and hyde no that well yeah. to be fair to you Con o'neill in that video the way he's doing mickey's like whole rant before eddie comes on stage makes yeah. it seem like that's where the show is going yeah he's, yeah, like, yeah. he's doing what i can only describe as performance art <laughs> part of it is that he is so committed to playing this child in this very specific theatrical stylized way very sort of panto But also like the writing is weirdly kind of um, like stylized in a play that does not have much stylized dialogue. So I'm like, what's going on here? But then, yes, no, then Eddie comes out and they bond. Eddie gives him his sweeties. They become (laughs) blood brothers. Mrs. Johnston comes out and she realizes who Eddie is. She's like, you probably shouldn't be around here. Eddie informs his mother where he's been and Mrs. Like if Mrs. Johnson's try- is like caging, and trying to not get too involved, Mrs. Lyons has become like paranoid up the butt.
1: <laughs> she, she like, yeah, gets, you know, steadily more and more unhinged as this show goes on, uh, which I think to the show's credit, is also exploring, like, class systems inside of Britain and stuff at the time as well. But mm-hmm. probably saw, still goes on. doesn't have to be just of the time. But uh, that is actually kind of the element of the, of the production that I enjoyed was it It starts off as her being so kind, like, I'll take this child, like, it, mm-hmm. it fits both of our issues. But she turns very quickly to be like, never are you supposed to see this person, cut them out of our lives. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, Like, convinces her husband to fire Mrs. Johnson in the prologue. Like, yeah, Mm. Mrs. Lyons might have the arc I like the most because she is the villain of the story, but she is very endearing at the beginning. And her idea, while it's, you know, terrible in the sense of you're separating two children, like you see where she's coming from. It's it is not totally selfless. She's not just helping out Mrs. Johnson, but there is, it does benefit her as well. And for for a while, she's like, you can still work here, you can still see the kid, but like no one can ever know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason why Mrs. Lyons is able to get away with it is very conveniently, her husband has just left for a business trip for, like eight or nine months and he's just left he's, so she's like yeah he could have gotten me pregnant right before he left and i will i'll put a pillow in and everyone will see and then we'll have the babies and he's doing business stuff with business things with yes. business people <laughs> busy business he's wealthy he's rich they're rich people that's like i need to know they're rich
1: very yeah. rich I mean, to be fair, we don't really need to know. It's just like, yeah, they're rich people.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's the same thing with, you know, all these British shows where it's like it doesn't matter what he does, just they're they're wealthy, the Johnsons yeah. are not. End of story. And like it does not improve the show if there's an extra line of like, oh well, I'm doing the thing at the place. Like, don't I mean, we don't need it. Especially in a show this long. Like just right. Uh anywho, but yes. Uh Mrs. Lyons gets so paranoid, she convinces everyone that they're going to move out to the country to get Eddie and Mickey away. Eddie and Mickey <laughs> then most, sorry, Mickey sings Skinamax. Maybe everybody pack their bags and move away well. It's gonna be a long,
1: long, long,
0: Is it Long Sunday Afternoon? Long Sunday Afternoon. Long Sunday Afternoon, which then goes into My Best Friend, which is the same melody as My Son or My Child or whatever it's called. And this is the song that fucks me up in a a not sad way. Like, I laugh when I hear it. Because it's supposed to, my best friend is supposed to sort of be like, Melancholy-esque But they are children So this song is still Kind of like peppy But the way that it's done is that best friend He could swear Like a soldier He'd you the stories he told He was untidy From Monday to Friday I wish that I could It reminds me of An episode of South Park <laughs> My references are all over the place But that's why we love This podcast, right? Yeah I haven't mentioned sex in the city yet, but I'm sure I will. <laughs> the episode is young. I have a tally sheet in front of me. I'm just checking them off as we go along. So Thank you so much. <laughs> There's an episode of South Park where Cartman pretends to be a robot named Osimo to right. troll Butters. And when they do stuff together, Butters sings a song. Hey there. two songs are so alike that i cannot not hear it so even when so they're like funny. i miss my best friend and it's like i just start laughing and i think of butters i'm like yeah, and yeah. now i imagine butters and eric Cartman as Osimo doing this number
1: i mean eventually they'll probably make that episode i'm sure um they have the, to uh, uh this is i mean t- this is actually kind of a I mean, you're you're talking about like that sense memory that you're having. It is it is a kind of a funny song, too, at the same time. So they're they're like intentionally. So I should say, too. like, it's trying to be funny as these two kids are trying to reconcile with their feelings.
0: Yes. I miss my best friend and hear all the things that he was great at. And like they're seven. So the things that they talk about are very sort of uh, surface level stuff. You know, Mickey, oh, my best friend knew all the words in the dictionary. Eddie, my best friend was dirty and smelled, but I loved (laughs) him. But
1: I loved him. Yeah. Dictionary, also... by the way, is how they pronounce that in the song. There, diction,
0: dictionary, dictionary, yes. dictionary. They add a dictionary. syllable. Dictionary.
1: It feels like there is only kind of like three songs in this show that kind of get like I don't know, lengthened <laughs> into multiple different songs. Because there's some songs like "Gun to My Head." I was like, I don't know if I could say the difference with the melody. Like it almost goes all together for me.
0: Yeah, it kind of goes in and then out. I will. Say, I think that's the reason why I like. Bright New Day, why you probably like easy terms because they're not really yeah. repeated ever again. Right. right. Raylan Monroe's repeated a bunch. Devil's Got Your Numbers repeated a bunch, which is yeah. like, that is just the narrator. I, and I yeah. I talk about the narrator like he is cognizant of what he's doing. Like I'm, Willie Russell wrote this character and decided how many times to bring this character in. But it's the narrator yeah. being like, I'm here too and I'm saying words and I'm telling you I'm important by singing The Devil's Got Your Number. And he's just like, it's hard to tell if he's actually the character's psyche sort of uh turning against them or if he's just also like standing in for the audience to talk so like every time this Lyons lions kind of goes deeper into madness he like kind of comes out he's like getting yeah. crazier aren't you and i'm like
1: well yeah i mean the, the thing about it though is like i feel like conflicted a little bit because i actually really like i think it's warwick evans i think it's warwick evans is yeah warwick evans uh,
0: warwick evans is his name
1: yes Uh, And I actually like his voice and his like, like his vocal performance. Um, They put like an extra um, echo (laughs) on his voice. So I like that. But then it's like, every time he comes, I was like, you have added nothing to the progression of this story that they couldn't have just sung themselves. So it feels like a weird addition to this story. Like the, the there's no functional purpose from what I can tell.
0: Yeah, this is not a narrator in Joseph's situation. This is a narrator right. in, I don't know, where's something where the narrator is totally pointless. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Blood Brothers, I suppose. I, and I, I don't want to... Yeah, Warwick Davis in the video... Or sorry, Warwick Evans in the video does about as good a job as anyone can do mm-hmm. with this part. He is also like, he's not overly... He's not underlining everything himself. He's not like coming in and being like, get it, get it. Like he's actually very dry and reserved, which I like. Mm -hmm. It's the show and the production that's like, again, light change. Orchestra does a huge chord every time he says or does something. And it's like, we get it. What he's saying is important. Maybe like, don't draw that much attention to it. By the ninth time, we are starting to um, uh, get numb to it. Right, right, right. That took me forever to say that word.
1: I mean, in a way, I would love it if someone walked around and followed me. And every time I did something, it was like getting a little bit more mad, huh? And just like, <laughs> yeah. like turn towards a non-existent audience. And as I stumbled further and further into mania.
0: Yeah. I mean, imagine a narrator in Hamlet, like every five, not even every 30 pages, every five pages, every four pages coming, like just coming on stage and being like, so uh, things are going pretty crazy here, huh? <laughs> And like with the ghost coming on like, kind of going off the rails don't you think weird this, this is weird isn't it and that's what how, that, i think that's how tom Stoppard ended up writing rosencrantz and Guildenstern, right. he's that's like right. i could do a narrator or i could just write it from their perspective or like when the ghost comes on in hamlet and he's like but was it a ghost and it's like yeah. i don't know let us decide for ourselves
1: um oh my gosh i can't remember where this is from it could be a south park thing now that i think of it anyways I, I always remember it, which is, uh, oh, no, it's a, it's an old Simpsons episode is what it's from. That they, also works. Where they uh, were satirizing behind the music. Um, and I always remember it because it's like, did they actually kill him? Yes, they did. No, they didn't. Maybe they did. Find out after the break. It's like, that's what the narrator feels like. It's this oscillation back yeah. and
0: forth. It's like, they're crazy. They're probably going to kill someone. Are they? Who knows? Who's to say they are? I, yeah, that's just mm-hmm. what the narrator narr- narr- does. He comes out and he's like. Is it a superstition? Is it just fate? Is it because of class? Is it because of Thatcher? Is it because you're crazy? Is it because of those shoes on the table? Who's to say? And like walks off stage uh, and like, what did you add just now? Yeah.
1: Are you an easy breezy cover girl? And then the makeup commercial starts. It's weird. That was the weirdest point in that, in the show I thought.
0: Yeah, I think when he opened act two and said, are you worth it? And then brought out a L'Oreal bottle. I was like, yeah. wow, interesting. Way Probably to bring placement. in that. All right. oh, that's where Legally Blonde got it from. They're like, what if we did Blood Brothers? But instead of murder, it was law school. Shoes to on the table and a spider's been killed. Someone broke the looking
1: glass. There's a blue moon shining on the salt's face.
0: When they go out to the country, Ly- Mrs. Yeah. Lyons brings her family out to the country. She's like, we're getting away from the other people. And then, because fate is a bitch, fate mm-hmm. is, a, is an ironic bitch who loves to troll us humans. Mrs. Johnson and her family end up moving out to that exact same country, like this, like town yeah. in the country as the Lions. But, like, it's never explained why. I think if you live in England, like you understand what happened to them.
1: So, yeah, from what I can understand, it was like, um, it's a government program. Like they went into government housing, but it was cheaper for them to go and live in the country than it would be for them to be put up in the city.
0: Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah, it was government housing in the country. Like there's a lot of them.
1: Um, This is though like a big, I find like English tradition, like Dickens did this all the time mm -hmm. in his stories, which is like, but what if there was just a coincidence that they ran into each other again? Like, there never really feels like a, an earned reason why yeah. they kind of run into each other. It's like, what if they just, for whatever reason, run into each other again? Then what? And then we write the rest of the story.
0: To be fair to Blood Brothers, it takes Eddie and Mickey seven years to run into each other the yeah. first time, and then another seven years to run into each other the second time. So right. I will give Russell credit for that. But of course, but it is also like, what are the odds, eh? <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, no, Dickens does that very thing with Oliver Twist, where it's like, you know, they had to kidnap Oliver back for reasons. But then for why reasons. do they keep him? Because reasons.
1: Yeah. And he just so happens to be, you know, looked after by the guy whose niece ran away and,
0: you know, all that kind of stuff. that gets I, um, roped into it. Yeah. We talked about it in the episode. But yeah, like in the book, it's it's a much more complicated, stupid history. And in the movies yeah. and the show, they're like, fuck it. He's his grandkid. <laughs> like, yeah, just... whatever. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Again, British culture. It's like, who the fuck cares? Like, don't worry about it. Just keep watching the show yes that's not the point um yeah I, but i i as i said earlier i do think the reason i like bright new day so much is a it's one of the few up tempos in this fucker yeah and then on top of that it's i don't think it's ever used again and so it's just a nice welcome new melody uh right. even if i always was confused as to what was happening again because they, they don't say anything in fact like if you watch the video or you watch clips from the broadway production And she's like, we're moving away. And the kids are like, why, mom? And she doesn't answer them. I know. It's like, we're just moving away. Yeah. They're like, why are we leaving? And she was like, we're starting all over again. You (laughs) didn't answer my question. But Mrs. Johnston knows West End Theater. And she's like, don't worry about it. (laughs) Exactly. You're asking too many questions. Although I do love where they're like, I'm going to go get Linda. Linda, we're moving two it's like right yeah, yeah everyone's moving to the country the country's where it's happening it's it's popping it's the country is popping the then country they jump into is the locking. Muppets truck and they're off
1: into the country and it's great
0: oh my god I would what I would give for the Muppets to do a cover of that song and they're in the yeah, bus yeah. and they're driving <laughs> they're away. away yeah that would be phenomenal so yeah. okay first I was gonna say like who would we cast from South Park <laughs> in, in a production of Blood Brothers who would we cast from the Muppets
1: yeah right right, right. um I mean, you have to have the pigs in there somewhere. So, well, Miss Piggy I mean, is
0: is Mrs. Lyons. Oh, you you 000 think 000. she's Mrs. Johnson? She can't be. I think Mrs. Johnson might be the one human in this production. <laughs>
1: that, that, that's right. Um. By the way, another little side note is as I did research is like the uh, the vocal performance of Kiki D in that in that performance. It's like as I was going through like my list, it's <laughs> like who who where do I know this voice? Where do I know this voice? For a moment, it's like. It sounds like Helen Reddy, but that's not Helen Reddy. And then I find out that Helen Reddy is actually in the
0: show. I'm like, oh, well, like that was perfect casting Then Oh, yeah. And so did Mel from the Spice Girls. Like a lot of pop singers went into the show, which is crazy because like, yes, it is Mrs. Johnson's the most vocal part in the show. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. even say it's like the most vocally impressive. It's much more of a Chantousy kind of vocal range. Yeah. But also like it requires some acting like this is not something. Yeah this is not like the show you, this is not the role you give someone who wants to try acting out for the first time. Like you, right. you, you give them the husband to pisses off as, you know, like training. Like, yeah, come on, be an asshole for 90 seconds and then I mean, fuck off. Cast
1: your check and yeah.
0: Yeah, be a pompous <laughs> the alpha at male. The end yeah. yeah, be a pompous alpha male. And then and then you get to be Mrs. Johnston. Do we ever find out her first name or it's just always Mrs. J? I think someone does, but I cannot remember
1: it off the top of my head. Bethany, we're gonna call her Bethany. Well, are we gonna say it's Marilyn actually?
0: That's just... <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be the worst thing of all time if her name was literally if her name was actually Marilyn. Marilyn. Cause Willie Russell would be like, if it wasn't clear enough for anyone, yeah, and then so there's gonna be that wall, there's gonna be that one person in the audience who's like, huh, Marilyn. <laughs> like Marilyn, it'll take like five years later than the shower, like, oh my god, because Marilyn Monroe, I'm like, you're the reason why he put that in there because <laughs> yeah, you exactly, didn't get exactly. it. Um yeah I, I agree I think Act 2 is really where the show kind of hits its stride and even then it's like yeah. kind of bumpy but sure yeah it's funnier it has a lot more um... yeah i mean i'm I'm thinking of even then like that
1: song take a letter mrs jones um that's another song i like a great deal yeah that's a great song although it really should be called changing of the times but uh, or sorry sign of the times um there are a lot
0: of songs here that deserve new titles in fact i believe devil's got your number is now called shoes on the table yeah which is like well that doesn't make sense but okay (laughs) uh
1: so, sign of the time. At least they don't do that thing where so many pop songs do, where it's like name and then in parentheses, it's like the chorus. Oh yeah, <laughs> they do. Um, such and such, the letter song. Yeah, like the letters. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. The uh, but yeah, no, like uh, take a letter, Miss Jones is like I think the best, actually leaning into musical theater number in the entire show because it's mm-hmm. very musical theater. Of like the three different courses, it's a new person each time that they're talking to. It changes over time. Like it, it's yeah, it's a perfect little song. They stick right into like the middle of Act Two.
0: Yeah, it's it uses musical theater as storytelling to yeah. to push the plot along. It's the good night and thank you of this show. Yeah, um, like as written by Pete Townsend and from you know the Who. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does have very Tommy vibes to it. That song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like it a great deal. It's um, yeah. That's that is when Mickey and Eddie are a bit older. So they meet up again at 14 and they like reconnect in a very homoerotic way. I know. I know. The, the, For a the... moment,
1: I want to say that was another thing. I was like, is this going to go that way?
0: Which I was not expecting. But... I mean, if this were, a sh- um, if this were a movie from France and my, in, Yeah, yeah, I think if, if you were to rework this as a movie made in Paris, it would be that these boys who never knew that they were brothers have this connection. And then like, weirdly think they might be gay with each other and yeah. don't go arresting me guys don't go, go reporting this episode to the po- uh, to the podcast police if you watch the video on youtube of con o'neill and whoever the other guy is playing eddie the right. their chemistry together is very homoerotic which i which maybe you could argue I, like yes
1: i think it is like <laughs> i'll sign off on that too. so uh robert lock i think is who it is there the we video. go
0: he doesn't I didn't was... do it on
1: Robert though did not. That was uh, Mark Michael Hutchison, I think, mm-hmm. or at least I was the original person who, if that is who is in the Broadway or the
0: Tony Awards performance, who mm-hmm. boy, he's a good looking guy. But yes, he is. <laughs> uh, he was, so and we'll talk about this when we get to the legacy with the awards and reviews and whatnot. The awards sort of scattered with the show are interesting, but. Yeah. Because the actor who played Eddie in the video was also nominated for the Olivier, as was Kiki D, and only Con O'Neill won. But, and granted, like Mickey is perhaps the better role. Eddie, I think, yeah. comes into his own in Act Two. There's a lot of good stuff for Eddie then, but Mickey is the showier role. It is,
1: yeah, exactly. It's like you're introduced to him and he's doing like a one man show for like 15 minutes. <laughs>
0: yes. He's also got like the more tragic story in Act yes. Two. So, like, one of Mickey's six other siblings or seven other siblings is his brother Sammy who's like a full-blown delinquent just you know yeah yeah he is the jigger to uh Mickey's Billy Bigelow and the oh also I want I want to say this because I forgot to say this when I recorded Phantom I understand that the gender dynamics and sexual politics of Phantom that I criticize very heavily is coming from someone where Carousel's his favorite musical so anyone who wants to come for me on that like believe me i have no problem explaining to you why carousel is actually a lot better than phantom in that respect sure, sure. but that's a story for another day but what is your favorite version of carousel matt it's yet to be done kyle um right, right. It, there's just never been a revival that really did it for me right 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 i don't i mean no one's done julie jordan well in my eyes so mm.
1: <laughs> biting your lip and
0: <sighs> yeah no i know Ah oh, god i love shouting into the void all about that you know i do but yeah. we're talking about something that's not as good whoa Um, i said it you can like listen you can like the show i'm not trying to come for anyone who likes it there's i can understand why a lot of people like it oh yeah i think it's very fair though to talk about the things with the show that are uber rough and i think there are some people who so like aurora spider woman famously has posted clips of blood brothers on his page one is Uh, reviewers reels of the Broadway company and then of the replacements. And we'll talk about the replacements when we talk about the legacy again. But two things. One was with the Broadway clips with um stephanie lawrence and conan neal and whatnot somebody someone who's a super judgmental person who had some choice words to say about michael hayden because this guy comes from the opera world he was like i'm getting a lot of notes of matilda from this score but uh, matilda's kind of annoying blood brothers does it so much better and i was Mm. like oh you're so lucky i'm not sitting at a table with you because i would eviscerate you that said yeah
1: that's like a long drink of whatever you're you have in front of you and then like big yep.
0: sigh and then you turn and you kind of go. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, I guess we're doing this. And then <laughs> another one was someone said, Well, you know, if these replacements had opened the show, they all would have won Tony Awards that year. And I'm like, have we forgotten who what this show is up against that yeah, year? Yeah, like it's because- up- against stiff competition. Yeah, year. there's no way these replacements would have won against the people who were actually nominated that year. There is no way. So this is another weird thing that fired in my brain
1: and you'll you might know better cuz you've done your phantom episode already. Um cuz for what again, it's Warwick Evans, right? Warwick Evans. Yes. Warwick Evans. Yeah. His voice also sounds weirdly familiar, and I've not actually researched him to see if he's like a voiceover person, too, uh, that maybe I'm just re- knowing something that he's done. But what he who he sounds very close to, and I'm pretty sure it's not him, though, is the opening to the 50th annual Tony Awards, where... Uh, the Phantom actually introduces people it's like don't let me drop a chandelier. That means you to Nathan Lane.
0: Oh, the one at the, when they're at the Majestic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so then like Bernadette Peters and uh, Liza do their that weird song. Um, yeah. uh, anyways, th- that person sounds like Warwick Evans. I was like, is it with the same year? Was that what was going on? It's not. And it was probably no. playing Phantom at that time. But it's very no, close was. British actors.
0: Yeah, well, I I don't think that Warwick Evans, if Warwick Evans ever did play the Phantom, it was never on Broadway. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think after Michael Crawford, it's been mostly Americans. A couple of Canadians here and there, but mostly Americans on Broadway. Uh, it might have been, it might have been Howard McGillin at that point. I don't don't quote me on that. Uh, Yeah, no, it was not the year of Blood Brothers. That was the year of Rent. So that was 96. it was, 97. Yeah, so Blood Brothers had actually closed by that point. It had been closed for like a year. Yeah, that's what I mean.
1: I I did that recently. Okay, so it's not him at all. But who is this person who sounds very close to work, Evans, for whatever reason?
0: Well, if anyone wants to tell us, please let us know. But also, Kyle... That required absolutely no research on my part in regards to the year, yeah. all that stuff. I just knew that that was just. Yeah, up, that's off the here. dome right there. I'm um, what, oh, One thing you also
1: mentioned, I just don't want to blow past this, mm-hmm. which is how it came to Canada first mm-hmm. for a little bit, Um, just as because I am a Canadian and I like to represent it. This is like such a Canadian thing. You always have to talk about Canada anytime it comes up. Um, I would if I were you. We have so little (laughs) that we need to talk about, but uh, I don't know if people know how much of a feeder system like Toronto specifically was for a long time into Broadway, mostly Mm the eighties into like the late nineties. It's not so much anymore, but for a time it was like, it went to Canada first and then transferred down onto Broadway.
0: Especially if it was a, if it was an expensive show that maybe was coming with not a ton of Buzz, it was a way to sort of build momentum for it. Like the Mamma Mia did the exact same thing, mm-hmm. um started in Canada, then did a year long tour and then came to Broadway. And then also, I think, I don't know if uh, there was the revival of like how Prince's Showboat started there. Yeah, Showboat did its out of town tryout there. I think that was supposed to be a sit down, and then they were like, mm, we'll just close up shop and, and bring it to Broadway. But yeah. it was like, it was. It was in Canada for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. I think also that part of that is Garth Drabinsky, yes. which I don't Very believe. Big name. <laughs> yes, I don't think we're. Yeah, he's not coming up on this on this series. I don't, I don't think. think. So. The only I I could have mentioned him in Phantom because he produced the. Uh, Canada premiere of it with Cole Wilkinson and Rebecca Kane. Yep. but I thought rather not. That sh- that episode's already very long; it's the longest <laughs> one to date. Right, and yeah. we already discuss some of the pompous douchebags that are involved with in that show. We don't need to mention Garth. Yeah,
1: there's so many. There's
0: so many. But you know, he ca- ca- came up in this episode, so there we go. Garth. Ca- well, actually, He he is actually relevant to the Broadway season with Blood Brothers because of um the stiff competition that the brothers were up against. Right, right, right. right. Speaking of How prints and all that good noise. Uh yeah, so act two, as he's mentioned, like act two is usually where like the problems start. Yeah. And like act two has its problems. And in fact, I would argue that is when the Marilyn Monroe metaphor <laughs> becomes comical. A little bit labored. Yeah. Yes. But I also think that's when the show weirdly kind of finds its groove and is able to kind of um like if you did not enjoy act one, you will most likely enjoy act two more. Uh, I think that the story gets a little bit better the songs are a little less intrusive the narrator is a little less intrusive the stakes get a little higher and well things lead into each other I find a little bit more in act two Um, I think you're
1: right I think there's some melodies and um, reprisals and stuff that's like I don't really need this here in this case but it moves at a, a quicker pace which most act twos do but like uh for me as a viewer like i was getting a little bit burned out by the first half and Mm -hmm. then the act two comes like okay so it's moving we're getting through the plot and we're getting to like the showdown
0: yeah it's in a weird way it's a little similar to noises off where like noises off that whole first act is setting up the house of cards so in act two and three you watch it all get destroyed and blood brothers is trying to do that i don't think it's nearly as successful because then you have songs like it's all just a game which i think is personally a little useless but it's there so that way because it's all about how these kids are playing you know cops and robbers cowboys and right yeah
1: i agree i i'll go even further i hate that song a lot um i've listened to the score now whatever 10
0: times this week and every time I'm like oh there's such a joy yeah. to get through
1: for me especially because
0: um, it starts with na 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 and i'm like well if you don't if you don't like kids singing kyle like that's, yeah, I know.
1: that's yeah. that is
0: uh breaking my phone in half yeah that is um birth control that song right there <laughs>
1: that is that is but i mean again if you want to get into like thematic resonance like they're playing cops and robbers and he ends up being killed in a co- like a robbery by yes
0: <laughs> by well a, yeah his, his brother sammy gets killed right brother. yeah Sammy gets yeah. Sammy the delinquent killed,
1: well definitely the delinquent brings them along that's where he goes to jail and
0: yes brings I thought Sammy got killed in act two I, I can
1: I think you might be right actually yes, a,
0: because so. Sammy is already kind of becoming a troublemaker and then in act two so Eddie and Mickey like meet up again as teenagers and uh, they have a they have a song that's a reprise of my best friend slash my son which is called that guy I, just and, to just to fact
1: check us both just so people don't write in Sammy kills someone and goes to prison. So
0: Sammy doesn't die, but he gets sent to prison. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Thank you for the fact Mm -hmm. check Kyle. So no one comes for me. Honestly, if you know, Blood Brothers this well, everyone, (laughs) I'm going to ask that you start checking out some more shows. I'm not, I don't want to take away the joy you get from it, but there are more shows same way when people are like, I love bandstand. I'm like, good for you. It's time to check out some more shows, but yeah so we have it's all just a game which is supposed to just be you know these kids all the violence like it's fine like you die you die for fake and it's it's all just a game anyway and then act two when sammy brings mickey along for the ride for a for a robbery because at this point now mickey is 18 eddie has gone off to university they've been best friends now for four years which i do like i like that they reconvene at 14 and then they get like a solid four years of being best friends so the connection remains because it is a little odd that seven years later like Eddie still kind of holds the spot in his heart for Mickey. Still where's the locket that Mrs. Johnson gave him of like the photo of her and Mickey, mm-hmm. which is, it has one of my favorite jokes in the show, but it is weird that this 14 year old boy is still wearing a locket of a child and his mother. That's not sure as far as he knows, yeah. isn't him. But when he's at uh preliminary school and the teacher's like, you're a boy, take off the locket. He goes, yeah. it's like, this is a school for boys. Well, I am a boy because we'll take off the locket. And he says, what is it? You can fuck a rolling donut, but you may not take my locket. And I'm like, you know what? For all the things on the show I don't like, I fucking give a credit for that line. Yeah. Honestly, pretty much any
1: time. Sorry. Anytime Eddie swears is like gold to me. I don't know what it is about like perfect British diction swearing is
0: incredibly funny to me. Take a flying fuck at a rolling donut. That's what it is. And I think that is so good and because he also doesn't even say it angry he's like you may take a flying fuck a rolling donut but you I may not-, not take my locket And i'm like you prime like and that's the thing about Blood brothers i think that's so frustrating there are moments where it says the exact right thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it finds a joke when you need that joke and then other times you're like how can you not be so perceptive to know that we need to get the fuck out of this scene we need to cut this song we need to move it along so it's yeah, just
1: it's it's keep it moving keep it moving yeah keep yeah. it moving it's very
0: frustrating <laughs> there's like not enough of a motor but yeah they they become best friends linda and mickey sort of have a will they won't they and eddie like clearly is in love with linda as well right and basically sets it up so that way mickey can be with linda they get together while eddie goes off to university mickey gets linda pregnant right just like marilyn monroe <laughs> they get married and Mickey can't provide oh so the song that we love so much the Take a Letter uh, Miss Miss Jones is Mickey has gets a job Take a Letter Miss Jones quote I regret to inform you that owing to circumstances quite beyond our control it's a premature retirement for those service to requirement I'm afraid it's a sign of the times Miss Jones an unfortunate sign of the times and then because of the uh, recession, the job loss in 81, I guess it is, mm-hmm. he loses his job and can't get a new one. So he accompanies Sammy on a robbery for money for the baby, literally Jigger and Billy from Carousel. Exactly. And it goes wrong. And both Sammy and Mickey go to prison. Um, and then he gets on like the anxiety pills, basically. Yes, they put him on. Yeah, they put him on uh, medication for depression because like the, apparently the moment he goes to prison, he it's like a switch goes off and he stops being mm-hmm. the Mickey everyone knows. And he just becomes like an anxious depressive slug. And yeah. so they put him on medication, which is like makes him different and like an alien. And this is another thing about the show that hasn't aged super well. That's very yeah, like early eighties that like antidepressants don't make you human. And it's like, it's, if you're on the right, if you are on the right prescription, it right. is correcting an imbalance. Yeah. Like
1: I would, I would be willing to like suspend my disbelief through that. I think if they had, I don't know, layer that in a little bit better. Uh, I, I like, like I said, my biggest problems are with that first act and taking so long to kind of get into into the meat of it. Because mm-hmm. um, this is where the time I wish they had spent is that transition from him being arrested to getting on those anxiety meds, mm-hmm. because that almost feels like it's given short shrift. Where it's like, yeah, yeah, so he's on uh, an- uh, these antidepressants, and that's making him be. Uh, a different person, and that kind of leads to the murder/slash suicide that happens at the end, too. Like, Spoiler all that alert. stuff happens. Oh, so sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the but it's that, that all that stuff seems to happen so quickly that I wish
0: there was just a, like a little bit more breathing room <laughs> in like that last 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, I think that's absolutely fair, especially. Yeah, I would have liked to have had a scene of Mickey in prison on the maybe even before the antidepressants, So we saw sort of why he was put on them to begin with. I don't think we even get that. I think it just goes straight from uh, him being uh, tried and then going into prison and then coming and then he gets out of prison on good behavior relatively quickly. That's right. Um, Um, He's supposed to be sent there for seven years. He gets out after three, maybe. That's right. That's right. Um,
1: I mean. That, I mean, that song even writes itself. It's like, I'm waiting here on death row, just like Marilyn Monroe.
0: So, I mean. It's... Well, <laughs> when he gets put on the antidepressants, Mrs. Johnston sings.
1: And treats his ills with daily pills Just like Marilyn Monroe They stop his mind from dancing
0: <laughs> In the beginning of Act 2, when she's like telling us, oh, yeah, we're in the country and everything's great. And Mickey's now becoming a teenager and he doesn't think I know that he spends all night dreaming about girls who look like Marilyn Monroe. Like it just keeps on popping up like herpes. My God. Not to mention the fact that Find we're a new now, metaphor, bitch.
1: Not to mention the fact that we're now in the 80s. So it's like uh, Marilyn Monroe has been dead for 20 years now at this point. So I'm guessing it's probably some other model at the
0: time. Yeah, who probably OD'd at the point? What about um, Edie Sedgwick? <laughs> right. My son okay, become we, 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 a giant dick, just like Edie like, Sedgwick. Yeah, so come on, Willie. We're here for workshopping. Yeah, we're here. we're here. We're offering notes. Take us up on it. Maybe if you take our notes, it will run much longer in the U.S. <laughs> possibly, possibly What's dated references. Dated references, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah the the last twenty minutes of the show weirdly it's like pedal to the metal because like they go yeah especially like again as you said act one is super stretched out even like the beginning of act two stuff happens it's not that quick it's just quicker than how act one has gone Mm -hmm. and so then when we get to their adult lives and also like eddie and mickey part ways because eddie comes back from university after four months and mickey has gotten linda pregnant married her and lost his job all in four months it's been a rough four months for mickey yeah and basically he's like eddie we're in two different classes. We're never going to be the same. Get away from me! I can't stand you. It's like really the beginning where the show is like class, class, class. The government favors one class over another. Hmm. And then I also love in "Take a Letter, Miss Jones." I, I wish
1: though. I wish though that the narrative came with. Is it class? Could it be class? Who's to say?
0: <laughs> Who's to? And s- just goes back into the shadows. <laughs> it. He's like that character on Veep. Uh, God, I forgot her name. The one who's like Selena's yeah. old friend who becomes a consultant. She was like, I think we need to, it's like, who do you like more? Well, I think we need to make a pro and con list of both candidates and then see who has more pros and who has more cons. I think, I think, and once we do that, we'll know who our candidate is. And it's like, that's not an answer. <laughs> right, what right, do you right, think, right. I'm James. I think there's a lot to think about. That's like the, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Some, whoever remembers her name, please tell me. Cause I forgot. Yeah, I like, can't remember. I want to say it's Linda, but I don't think it is. It's something like that. It's a basic name. But yes, she, the narrator is that character from Beep coming out being like, as you said, could it be class? Is it class? It's class, but is it? Is it? <laughs> Listen, Miss Jones, take a letter, but but is it a letter? Is, is it an envelope? Is who it an essay? Who can say what a
1: letter is, really?
0: Yeah. I, who, yeah, who can say what a letter is? I do love that the last verse of that song is she gets a letter after writing. Right.
1: I mean, that's, yeah, that's why it's so perfect. as like a little musical theater piece.
0: Yeah, for, for a musical, they have like... a musical theater song. What a novel concept.
1: I mean, that that also, because my favorite part of that song is like, it is the one that's being written to her from her. It's like, we appreciate all your stuff, blah, blah, blah. And this, like, it's that's such a great encapsulation of
0: corporate culture. Get to stepping, bitch. Um, but Lin- so like what pushes everything over the edge. And it's one of those things where it's like, yes, it's all a little contrived, but the show has done enough moves for us to like buy into it enough. Where like, mm-hmm. we see that like Eddie and, and Linda had sort of like a connection. and Eddie lets her go off with Mickey instead. So we know that there's something there. We know Mrs. Lyons at this point has become like paranoid up the wazoo. We know that Mickey's on antidepressants, all this stuff. And he's like kind of on edge all the time now. And when Mrs. Lyons thinks that Mrs. Johnston is like weirdly orchestrated at all, because, you know, Mrs. Lyons reads QAnon, she then gets Mickey to follow eddie who linda has reached out to because eddie has basically like helped mickey and linda like get a house get mickey a job because eddie uh has had life work out for him because he's of a certain class correct he has the connections he has the resources and helps them out thinking that mickey doesn't know mickey of course does know and when like linda can't really take it she goes off to see eddie she goes off to see eddie for a little bit and it's unclear if, like, they actually have an affair. I think it's more sort of, she just, like, needs someone to, like, yeah. shoulder cry on. This is actually something I was a little bit
1: curious about. Because I feel like within the context of the show, they do cross that line. Mm-hmm. But then they both deny it at the end. So I don't know if that's just them lying at the end. I'm not saying that they're being truthful. But it seems to imply that they didn't at all. But it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know. This show seems to have it both ways
0: yeah i think i don't know from the video it didn't look like anything happened it looked maybe they like embraced at one point but i don't right. think they ever had an actual affair it was like more of an emotional affair but yeah the song what's it called it's like a i want to say it's called a sensible affair but that's not it it's like uh, uh,
1: light a light romance or a light
0: romance yeah so the song implies that there's something going on but when you watch the staging and like as you said, that final scene—it's it—they make it seem as if it's yeah. not that. It feels like they kiss,
1: but maybe I'm just making that up now that I say that out loud. I, I thought, thought they thought kissed they
0: too, but then also I'm like, or maybe she just, or maybe it's like a nice hug, because like the way that they're positioned can look like that, and maybe gotcha. that's the point, because Mrs. Lyons shows Mickey all of that, and it yeah. looks like a full blown affair to him, which then yeah. leads Mickey to like, grab a gun, go on a rampage, and. M- mrs Lyons at one point tries to kill mrs johnston fails miserably yeah
1: with a knife like of all things like it's it's pretty brutal there at times
0: yeah but it's like also i mean i'm sure if you had a good fight choreographer it'd be a lot more intense but this in the in that video that fight is yeah it's pretty light it's it's a light romance one might say and mickey storms the stage tells eddie is my child even mine? I know about Linda. Like everything I have in my life is yours. Why, why? And and he's like, It's I swear, Mickey, it's not true. And then Mrs. Johnson comes out and she goes, Don't shoot him. He's your brother. Yeah, right, right. And that like this like collapses his entire world. Yeah. And when you have a good Mickey, which I will I will say, when I saw it at stage, right? We had a really good Mickey. He really milked that moment where he everything was like crashing around him and he was connecting all the dots. And then that turned to a painful rage because Mm -hmm. the last thing Mickey ever says is when she finds out, when he finds out that um, I had two of you couldn't afford to keep one of you and Eddie's mom took him and Mickey says, why couldn't it have been me? I could have been him. Yeah. Which is a devastating thing to hear right before he dies because he right. like what causes him all this dismay isn't even like he doesn't even say like you lied to me all everything i know is a lie it's just this happened and i didn't get i didn't get out the good thing from it like this terrible thing happened and i got the short end of the stick and he got everything why couldn't it have been me fickle finger of fate is it is it fate though but was it fate? <laughs> what was it fate i think the, the more we keep talking about
1: this I'm getting more entrenched in my view. <laughs> I think this story actually starts at the wrong moment. Like I understand it's important to at least do a flashback or some sort of setup. Like the mother made this bargain committed mm-hmm. to it. They're, they're uh, separated at birth. Like that is important. Um, but the more important story is to get to their friendship. Like the friendship is what is the crux of this. Mm-hmm. And then they're completely differing paths of having uh, wealth and prestige versus like, having nothing and really trying to make a go of it in a world that is not designed for you. And all that stuff is interesting and, and to be looked at. And I'm probably now going to make a reference to something that nobody knows about. But uh, uh, on my other podcast, Colin Davis Machine, we're currently watching movies from 1971. And we watched this movie called Summer of 42. Mm-hmm. And, my, and I actually ended up kind of liking parts of that movie. But my biggest criticism was like, I think it starts in the wrong place. Because I feel like the aftermath and fallout of that affair that is the interesting thing to look at. Like, mm. how would you react to this happening in your life? And not that is where the movie ends. And for me, not that I need a lot of extra time after this happens, but it's like, I think we need to start closer to the inciting action of uh, Mickey mm-hmm. uh, rather than focusing on his mom for so long. And then she just gets sidelined anyways for so much of this story before yeah. being brought into it. Um. anyways that's that's my opinion
0: yeah well and it's very clear that the show wants her to be the centerpiece of the show like she's mm-hmm. the role right right and I think the as you said like the show kind of is at odds with itself in the sense that like the meat of the story is these two boys and their relationship and then how the world kind of works differently for both of them who are you know they're the same, they're related, they're twins, right? But because of the way that the world goes it goes against uh, certain people and for others, like some people get all the luck, some people don't, and if you don't have the luck, no matter how hard you work, like there are just going to be obstacles you have to overcome that some people just never will, even if right. they are unworthy of that clear path. And that's a really interesting narrative to go down and, and a theme to explore. But because the show is trying to cover so much it does not cover really anything enough, in my opinion. So everything's a little half-baked. And if I say that the last 20, 30 minutes work decently, it's not even that it's like, oh, you know, all that messiness beforehand is fine because it just sets that last 30 minutes up perfectly. It doesn't really. It's more that just like we've been, as you said earlier, like we've been going at a certain tempo for so long. And then the last 30 minutes is like a much faster tempo. So by that point where we're just like, thank God like we're now at 50 miles per hour and but then like the actual ending ending itself like the actual murder moment happens relatively quickly basically Mickey accidentally Mickey gesticulates with his gun to Eddie gets shot by the police which then causes Mickey to convulse and pull the trigger and shoot Mm -hmm. Eddie so it's murder murder Um, in the original 70 minute version it's if you read the exchange it's much more contrived Mickey right. comes in with the gun and it ends up being a fake gun. And Mrs. Right. Lyons comes in with the real gun
1: and then kills. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And well, yeah. Attempts to shoot uh, Mickey. And then Eddie jumps in front and takes the bullet. And then she shoots again and kills Mickey. So she kills both of them, uh, which is, it's just very um, keep on making all these references that episode of community where they're all just pulling guns on each other. Like every right. five yeah, seconds. Yeah. It's great. I love it so much. Not the gun part. Just like the fact that it's just constantly like, the original ending of Blood Brothers was like, "I got a gun, you got a, you gun, got a gun." Yeah, yeah. It's like too much. So luckily, the Robbie version I think is a little better. Yeah. What's it's a what's little... more
1: dramatic than that? Pulling a gun on someone, though.
0: Everyone they should have more guns. The narrator should come out with a gun. No, he's gonna come out and go. Janie's got a gun, or does she? Does she? Who knows? Does she? Is that a gun? You decide, Curtain. He's gonna go. Is that a gun or is that a prop on a stage? Are we in a movie starring Marilyn Monroe? Curtain. Curtain. Go home, bitches. It's
1: <laughs> yeah. Some guy like what? I, I, what would we do?
0: Yeah. So would we say that Mrs. Johnston is a fully formed character, even though, she, even if she is the lead, like is she? She's definitely the most developed, but is she fully developed? Boy,
1: that's a, that's a good question. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. I mean, I, I guess I'll go to bat for her. Uh, I'll, I'll say that yes, because she does have. Um. I think there's there's different sides that we see to her character which is like we see her struggling with her six children this awful decision that she she makes to try and better her life and her one of her son's lives but then we also see her later on and like even in act 2 where like she knows she understands that these two people are brothers is not saying anything but still being motherly to him and not pushing mm-hmm. him away or or trying to influence their decision like, hey it's their choice if they're going to be friends from this point on I did not do anything to guide the hands of fate in this yeah. in this regard and then having her final breakdown there of like was any of this even worth it <laughs> that mm-hmm. sort of thing right so I don't know I guess I, I I'll say yes but what is your opinion
0: i I think she's like 80% there okay I think I think stage time does not equate to substance right I think sure. I don't think she's really there's a lot of complexity into her emotions but I don't necessarily find her that complex of a character like yeah. I think most of the complexity with her happens in act one uh, t- towards the beginning but even then it's mm, not a little kind of broader strokes the moment that I like the most with her is when Mickey and Eddie are 14 and they reunite and they stop by Mickey's house to see Mrs. Johnston and they lie about what movie they're going to see. They're like, "We're going to go see Doctor Shivago and like, they want to go see a uh, a skin yeah. flick. And she catches on to it immediately. She's mm-hmm. like, "I'm not born yesterday." She's like, "I also wasn't a saint before I was your mother." Like, I know these things. And there's a beach. She's like, eh, go on." Before I change my mind, like, go see the movie. And Mickey's like, "Oh my god!" And <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. "I was like, I don't know. I I like." that i like the like because you also have like mrs lyons who is a helicopter parent and you have johnson who's like you know she cares she's there when it matters but she's also like my kids are gonna fuck up it's my job to not like keep them from fucking up that's what's going to make them learn that's going to make them stronger and i'll be there when they need me but i'm i'm not going to like be around the corner all the time that's not going to help either one of us which is the script that i found that i guess they like uh sent to schools in england has all these questions in the back and like uh homework assignments like, mm. like reading it like it's a shakespeare play and they have all these questions one of the themes they talk about is how parents how overbearing parents can um be detrimental to their children which is very true and i think we see that a lot today right
1: well i mean you and especially in the theater world right i mean that is something you see a lot
0: yeah and it's something something that i think is actually really interesting with blood brothers because i don't know of many works before this that discuss that. This is hundred percent the first Broadway musical to discuss helicopter parents. Mm-hmm. Uh to, or at least to have the contrast of one who is and one who isn't. So I I I give them a lot of respect for that. How well they handle it, up to you. <laughs> right. Because right, again right. they go they they like to go more with the Greek tragedy and the uh, you know right. superstitions, spider on the wall, new shoes on the table, devil's got your number, Marilyn Monroe. So it doesn't explore it as fully as they could, but th- it's there and there's something to be said for that. Um, Linda. Who's Linda? What's she about? What's what's her story? Yeah. Is she developed? Is she a character? Is she a person? No, she,
1: she is a plot device if I've 100%. ever seen
0: one. 100%. Although she's got some good lines in there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the unfortunate part. I mean, I, I find this with a lot of... Well, I shouldn't say that. I was going to paint with a really broad brush, but a lot of... uh. Uh, I don't know girlfriend characters and plays and musicals. I always find to be a, pretty much underwritten. It's like you're just mm-hmm. girl who they're interested in, and that's all we need from this role. Mm-hmm. So, and that is what she uh, she does in this in this show. Oh, it's she
0: de- she's there as an extra sort of uh, obstacle yeah. that sort of messes with things. I mean, they give her a personality, but I don't sure. necessarily they make her a person. Yeah,
1: I would agree with that.
0: Yeah, but again, in like in the whole. British writing is of things like we never hear about her parents or anything like that. Cause it doesn't really matter. Like Linda's background isn't important. What's what's important is that we know who Linda is and her history with these guys. That's all.
1: And Yeah. And I, I think that should be pointed out too, is that um, if you're making a work of art, I mean, is it great if every single person that comes on stage is like this fully formed like character arc. Yeah. That'd be great. But sometimes, you know, like, what well, I'm trying to focus on what my, what I'm trying to communicate is like, this big idea over here and to do that i just need this person to exist <laughs> to yeah set the, the the action continuing to go
0: yeah no we don't need well so th- again that's what i mean when i say stage time does not equal substance i don't need yeah. another 45 minutes with linda i just need when linda's on stage to be specific and there is there's some specificity to her and they you know they make her a pretty consistent character like i don't think there's ever a moment where you're like that sounds contrived like there's consistency to her which i appreciate but also like yeah she i wouldn't say she's the most fully formed of characters but then again i would say most of the characters aren't i do like the running joke at the beginning of act two now that they've been living in the country for seven years they're 14 and mickey and uh linda have been going to the same school linda just keeps saying to mickey i love you Right. And she doesn't Freaks say it like in these giant declarations. She says, it's a matter of fact. She's like, I'm in love with you. And, and I, and one day you will admit that you are in love with me. And so, and she'll say like in class in front of everyone. Right. 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 She's like, make it's like, Mickey, sit down. I love you. And it's like, I like it. I think that's fun. Yeah, no, it's great. But it's like
1: it's such like a man response to it's like, what's her angle on this? What's she trying to do? It's like, <laughs> sure. He's like so up in his own head.
0: Yes. Well, I also think she does it. In addition to the fact that I think she knows her mind, I do think she understands that she's getting on his nerves when she does it. And that she bothers yeah. him when she does it. And she likes trolling him. So when she says it in public to a lot of people to him and, and embarrasses him, she knows that. I like that. I like that antagonistic quality to her. I wish there was more of it as they got older. But then again, her husband got arrested and put on antidepressants. What could she do? Right. Exactly. You lose your spark after that. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it puts a little
1: bit of a crimp into the relationship, let's just say. Just like Marilyn Monroe. Just like Marilyn Monroe. That is correct. So I think we've about discussed as much as we can on this show. Would you? I would say so, yes. I don't know how much more like, I can add into it. Um, it's weird because I know that both, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about like the negativity of this. It is weird that I ended up kind of liking the show, though, at the same time. I think, uh, yes, there's ways that you could go in and fix it. But if it was just done exactly the same way, like this is a show I probably check out just to mm-hmm. see how it was interpreted, um, which is not true for, for other shows. Um I mean, I am one of the anti cats people. Like, you would have to take me kicking and screaming to see a protection of cats, but sure. Blood Brothers would not be up there for me.
0: Yeah. It's Blood Brothers is not the worst show ever written. I wouldn't even say it's like lower rung of mediocrity. I think, I think it's like there's enough, there's enough about it that works. Yeah. And as you said, like, despite the things I don't like about it that I find fucking rough, there is a charm about it. And, if you stick with the show and it's a decent production, like you, you you end up getting sort of wrapped up in it, but it's what yeah. I think for a lot of people, you do have to kind of work with it. And that is harder for some people than others. Um, yeah. This is not necessarily a show I would recommend only because like I have all those caveats, but it is a show if someone were to ask me like, Hey, I'm interested in checking the show out. What are your thoughts? I'd be like, right. check it out blah, blah, blah. Like, here are some obstacles I had. So if you notice those obstacles as you're like enjoying the show, uh, Mm -hmm. note that I had them too and keep going. And Yeah. yeah, so fun, fun, fun times. Yeah, as I said, the script that I read, they had all these like teaching moments and they were like asking people to write Cards on Mrs. Johnson and Linda and Mickey and Mrs. Lyons. And they had like the script uh, teaches us how the class system in this country affects the life chances of the people who live here about the way mothers destroy their sons by loving them too much. I love the wording of that. Jesus. Yeah, I think the way they wanted to say that was how helicopter parents can end up yeah. being detrimental to the progress of their children, not nope. specifically mothers destroying their sons by loving them too much. Nothing
1: is more destructive than motherly love, is what the theme of this show is.
0: You want to know why you're a garbage human being because your mother loved you too much, you piece of flop. Um, that's right, that's right. It's a very Freudian reading for this show, <laughs> it's very, um, yeah oh, the last thing they say is how superstition governs our lives and i think that's i think that's a fair assessment the one thing yeah. we yeah, we talked about it earlier but i think a more concrete way to just sort of finalize that is how people look into superstitions the same way they look into uh uh, with, uh astrology or yeah. or if i want to be really uh controversial here religion hey in the sense yeah. well in the sense that <laughs> The world is filled with chaos and randomness, right? And we all are trying to find something that can give us a little bit of order and structure in this world, like some equilibrium. In a world that is round and filled with chaos, we want a flat surface to stand on. And for some people, that's religion. For some people, that's astrology. For some people, that's superstitions.
1: Well, actually, what what I actually find the most interesting part about that element of the show is the fact that Mrs. Lyons knows uh, what she's saying is a lie but ends up really believing it at the end. Mm-hmm. I find that so fascinating to be like, whether it is a yes, faith in religion, faith in astrology or whatever you you look to, why do we believe that? Because we just believe it. Yeah. <laughs> there might not be any necessary like... Um, fact behind that it's just like oh but it's been said enough times that i, I believe that that yeah. even someone who intentionally knew they were lying at the beginning now thinks it's actually true because yeah. they've told it to themselves enough times yeah
0: well if you give enough weight to the lie the lie becomes true like right. enough w- a weight to the superstition it becomes true it's uh for anyone who reads harry potter dumbledore always says like the reason why the prophecy came true is because voldemort put stake in the prophecy like right the pro is like there are millions of prophecies that don't come true if you don't give it weight it, it may not happen uh, but yeah. Voldemort was so obsessed with it it ended up happening right. uh, same thing with these superstitions and with Mrs. Lyons again I think but that's sort of the middle ground is like she starts believing it but also that's because too many coincidences too many coincidences start to happen right and she starts to think is it actually true are these are these uh, superstitions true? And that's sort of what the show wants you to ask doesn't give answers only asks. Mm -hmm. but so your favorite song you said was um i did but you know after we talk about this i'm going to go and say
1: no my actual favorite song is take a letter miss jones i think that that is the one that i'm probably going to return to the most i'm going to change my answer to that one as well and then i would say bright new day is my number two yeah um but i do like tell me it's not true i've actually listened to that probably the most this week just because i like the melody of it so much and then The lyrics at the end really bug me. So it's going to. Yeah. Those things
0: at the end, the music, the music at the end bugs me the way it finishes. And then also when you watch it done, I don't know, it's like part of it. I understand, like, you know, we have a narrator. We understand we're in a theater, but still there's something a little disappointing when like the brothers get up from the floor and everyone just stands and looks at you and sings into your mouth. And it's like, just stay dead. Just stay. just stay dead. God, please. You told me it wasn't a game anymore. So stop acting like it's a game. (laughs) That's right. The aftermath. Mm -hmm. This show was not well received in America. Critics did not like it. Frank Rich was actually pretty fair. He was like, listen, for all the British mega musicals we've been getting, this one is surprising in the sense of like, this is an intimate show. Right. And there's not a lot of dance. It's, It's one set. It's mostly just a couple of actors. And he's like, it's not even like the worst show. It's more just that, as we said, like too many met too many reprises of Marilyn Monroe. The narrator is kind of useless. Uh, and he had some problems with some cast members, but he thought it was overall pretty well cast. He thought it was an improvement of it in London mm. as he tends to. All the other reviews were just like flop, garbage, trash. Wow. Get out of here. But it ran for like two years, didn't it? Well, on we're getting oh, that's there. right. That's they right. were nominated for six Tony Awards, Best Musical, not nominated for Best Score. Do you know what they were up against that year for Best Musical?
1: I think one was Kiss of the Spider Woman, right? hmm But it was also...
0: Oh, my well, God. Well, we mentioned There's... it earlier. Pete Townsend. Oh, right. Um, oh my, why am I blank? Tommy. Yes. T- Tommy. Who's Tommy? The, th- the last one is a musical adaptation of a beloved Neil Simon movie. Starring Bernadette Peters and Martin Short. It ran for like three months. Maybe I, guess, mm, I don't you know. know. The Goodbye Girl.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yes, which was pro- possibly even more critically reviled than <laughs> Blood Brothers. And I maybe I'm wrong. I feel like Goodbye Girl had closed at this point. So I feel like its nomination was sort of a surprise. But I right. could be wrong. As I said, nominated for musical, book, actress for Stephanie Lawrence... Con O'Neill was nominated for actor. The actress playing Linda was nominated for featured, but the actor playing Eddie was not nominated, but he right. did win the Drama Desk Award for Featured Actor in a Musical. Interesting. Crazy. And the show but it won per- nothing, right? It won absolutely nothing. Uh, because Kiss of the Spider Woman and Tommy were the big winners that year. Yeah. And ironically, the show probably would have closed later that year. They were not doing well. It was and Uh, There was a whole controversy about the ad campaign because the producer, uh, what did I say his name again was Bill Kenwright. Bill Kenwright, the producer, made it at this whole point of in the advertising campaigns, tallying the number of standing ovations the show got. Mm -hmm. And then, and like printing like nine days in a row of standing ovations and all this stuff, like putting it in the papers, putting in TV commercials. And then the critics were like, we're going to go back to the show and see if you're right. And I think when they threatened to come back, he was like, okay, I'll stop printing it. because, God. yeah. Anyway, but the, the, this show was not doing well. They were really bleeding money. What ended up saving the show was that in August of that year. So the show opens in April, and so you know, four months later, Petula Clark comes in and replaces Stephanie Lawrence's Mrs. Johnston, and Sean and David Cassidy take over the roles of Mickey and Eddie, and mm-hmm. business immediately does better. They're able to last through another year. The three of them end up piecing out uh, yeah like 10 months later to start up the tour yeah and then carol king takes over as mrs johnston and plays that for us for like i guess six months and then helen ready takes over from carol king and no one wanted to see helen ready and i think she ends up doing the show for like eight weeks and then it closes uh literally two uh two years after it opens so petula clark the cassidy's and carol king keep that show alive for like a solid 18 months and it but closes. That would have been that. like technically that would be considered a hit though. Right. They lost listen... half of their budget though. Did they really, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it ran, It was what we would call a hit flop. It ran for two years, but it did not make all of its money back. And it mm-hmm. did have a national tour, which might've done decently. But yeah, I mean, again, the show ran for decades on the West end, had many national tours is beloved over there. We'll probably yeah. come back again at some point. I don't know if it's ever going to come back here.
1: Yeah. No, I don't know.
0: Yeah, we never even got a real Broadway cast recording. We got a recording with Stephanie Lawrence and Con O'Neill, but I don't think anyone else from that production is on it. Yeah, Maybe Warwick
1: is. Warwick, I think, is I listened to that one, That there's the 1995 London version is what they call it. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure those three people are on it. Um, I actually don't like the what they call the international version with the Cassidy's on it. I don't Me know. Neither. I, just, I just don't like. The production of
0: that. Album. Well, although David Cassidy sounds weirdly like Con O'Neill on it, to the point right. that I was like, "Are yeah. we sure this isn't Con?" I think the reason why I don't like it, the orchestrations are much larger. It's a much more yeah. like bombastic uh, recording. And while I've already kind of come for the Skynyrd saxophone, there is something really endearing about sort of the smallness of that band and that fucking saxophone. Yeah,
1: and the yeah, synthesizers.
0: Yeah. So. Let's wrap this up, Mr. Kyle. Uh, we're going to do some round off questions. Yes. Uh, you've listened to, s- to some episodes. Know. You know how this goes. It's okay.
1: so hilarious. And I know this is coming and I did not prepare anything. So Totally fine.
0: <laughs> First question is, far too many notes for my taste. If you had to cut one song from the show, what would it be? Oh, for me,
1: a thousand percent. If I could only cut one show, it would be called Kids Game because I hate that song yeah. so much. I hate it so much. I mean,
0: I would probably cut. Both of the Marilyn Monroe pieces.
1: You're going kill
0: one song, although that is
1: kind of yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I mean, yeah, I think I think you can get away with it from the beginning of Act Two. Yeah, for sure. And then cut it in half. Cut that second one though. Mm. Um, I also would probably cut that guy would like that guy he's probably got everything he doesn't have pimples he knows how to talk to girls he doesn't have halitosis i would cut that yeah yeah (laughs) it's just a little too (laughs) like you nailed that you nailed it though (laughs) thank you i mean that's the that's the gist of the song i you're dead and i miss you next question i dreamed a dream cast who would you like to see in this show
1: yeah I knew you were going to ask this. And now I'm like frantic. The The worst part about this is that as much as I love musical theater, I'm terrible at knowing Broadway actors, like current Broadway actors. But wow. I, I, like, like really bad. I'm like uh, his face looks familiar, but I don't actually know what his name is. However, I think for this show specifically, you do kind of need to stunt cast it mm-hmm. with uh, like they did with the Cassidy's I think you do kind of need like that pop rock vocal in it. You don't necessarily want like your classically trained Broadway voice singing Mm -hmm. these songs. Here's 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 my pitch to you, because I don't know who I'd put in into the mother roles, but how about for the two brothers, we do Harry Styles and Zayn and we have our One Direction (laughs)
0: uh,
1: reunion back. They can mend (laughs) the fences. You know that would clean up on Broadway for at least a few months.
0: Let's go back to your love life there, Kyle. So, yeah, right, okay, sure. Um, also, also, sorry. One Direction. One Direction, yeah. <laughs> oh, I just got that, Jesus. <laughs> Five years later. Oh, yeah. Marilyn Monroe, right. Right, right, right. Um, also, I mean, if, if this fair. was 30 years ago, I'd want
1: Cher as the main mother, but she's- Totally. Old. Yeah. All right.
0: Rainbow High Spectacle. Does this show need production value to work? I don't think so. I don't think there's
1: actually that much spectacle in the original to be honest. No, there's none. I, um, Like you could do this on a very basic set. Yeah. So the, the quick answer is no, I don't think you need spectacle for this to work. I would go even so far as to say, if you try to spectacle this up, it wouldn't work. Like it totally wouldn't work. Cause it would de- uh, detract from what the show even is.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I like to see as Mrs. Johnston, I'm probably butchering the name. Uh, Kiela settle, Kiela settle, Kiela settle. Where is she from? This, she sings This Is Me. She also right. is a Tony nominee for Hands on a Hard Body. She was yeah. in Waitress, just like voice for days. I'm sure, I bet you anything, she'd go up the octave on Tell me it's not true. Right. Yeah. So like where Stephanie uh, Stephanie Lawrence is like, uh, it's not true. She'd be like, yeah, it's it that. not true. Which I'm, <laughs> I'm like, if we're going to go at full out, let's go full out. Give yeah, me all 12 inches, Keila. Last question. <laughs> scale of 1 to 10, 1 being no, no 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 way and 10 being now and forever. Where does the show rank for you? For me,
1: this is a show that I would probably rank as a 6. Is probably oh. what I would it's probably what I give it. Like it's not an outright travesty of a show. This is never going to rank up in like one of my favorites of all time. Um and uh, like I I'll, I'll speak to some of the other shows you've already talked about here. Like I mm-hmm. am I am like the phantom apologist. Like I really do like phantom quite a bit, even with it. I mean, phantom works. Yeah. Whereas this one, I just don't think it is. The highs are pretty high, I would say in this, but then you have a bunch of mediocrity in it. that just like kind of really drags it down for me. So yeah, it's like a, it's like kind of there in the middle for me. Yeah.
0: I think six is very fair. I think as I walk away from the show and the more time I spend away from it, it becomes more of like a five. And then Mm -hmm. when I'm, watching it, it becomes a six again, maybe a 6.5, but yeah, she's not, she's not the most up there for me. Uh, Yeah. Kyle, this has been lovely. Thank you very much for, for joining me today. I hope you had a nice time. I hope that your first time on the breakdown was not a disaster for you. No, this this went really well. Yeah. I agree. I think so very much. Kyle, where can people find you if you want them to find you?
1: Yeah. If you want to just find me, I am at the Kyle Marshall. I'm pretty much any social media network. Uh, For the biggest crossover on on, from for this podcast, putting it together is probably gonna be the the top one. Yeah, I'm currently going through all the the body of work of Stephen Sondheim show by show and song by song. So here very, very shortly, we're going to be starting Sweeney Todd. Because of the new West Side Story movie, I'm moving some things around and talking about some other stuff. Oh, got it. Yeah, so Sweetney's will be starting up in December for people to jump onto that train because I've discovered it's gonna take me exactly seven months to go through that entire show. So it's gonna be a uh, while. I uh,
0: can't wait for that phone call. I look forward I to what song you want me to do. But I need because parlor I gave songs. Me-
1: someone has to fill in for parlor songs. I was
0: gonna yeah. say, you you're like because you gave me Blood Brothers, you get parlor songs. That's right. Or like that's you right. get the contest. Like Yeah, the con yeah, exactly. We love to see it. If you want to follow me, I'm only on Instagram at Matt Koplik, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, give us a nice five star rating. Give us a little review. Follow us. Tell your friends about it. As I mentioned in the Phantom episode, we got our first one star rating. So oh. my perfect, my perfect five out of five has now become a 4.9, which is fine. It makes us approachable. I am nervous, though, that as the podcast has been getting more listeners, that I'm going to start getting more people who hate it and give it one stars and just lower that rating so it becomes a 2.5. Oh, But you know what? People are entitled to their opinions. I just wish they would tell me. Uh what oh, they didn't Oh, I like.
1: agree. I hate the like the one star with no no review on it. It's yeah. like, no, you have to tell me why you hate this so much.
0: Yeah. And like more than us sentence. You know, write in three tasteful sentences that you hate my voice, my opinions are garbage, and the episodes are too long. I fully get it. Now kindly, fuck off. So right, right, right. fuck your blood brother. So I'm trying so first of all, guys, join us next week as we cover. In my opinion, the most confounding of Weber musicals, mm-hmm. Sunset Boulevard. Uh, stay tuned for that episode. It will be a nice juicy one. I'm trying to think who we should close this out with this week. Because I do believe we have closed out with, have we closed out with Barbara Walsh? I think we have. How about Petula Clark? Have you done her? We know what? No, I can say for certain we have not done Petula Clark. So let's close this out with some mother Tuckin' Petula Clark. Thank you so much for uh joining me today, Kyle. This has been a pleasure. Once again, guys, catch us next week as we do Sunset Boulevard. And yeah, have a great week, everybody. Take us away, Miss Pachula.
1: Bye. I don't want to be alone. That's all
0: in the past.